Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 7 o'clock on a Thursday. Good morning to you. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. And actually, it looks like a pretty decent morning out. But this is one of those days all three of us just got in here, what, like 90 seconds ago? Nice to see both of you. Yeah, good, good, uh, good Thursday morning. It did look really nice driving in. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be super warm today, but it looks like a pretty nice Thursday. What's yeah, your was... blood alcohol content right now, Kevin? With all the beer you have, oh, God, that wow. was a hell of a way to start. Wow, out. I'm just like, curious, man. I didn't know if you had a fun Wednesday. I'd night. like to know if you've cracked any of them I, yet. I, I did meet a buddy last night for a drink over a blind down. I'm thinking I just had one drink. Um, I cracked one of the Taxman, um, the gold can. How'd that go? It was good. It's good. Rosie, a big fan of the look of the can, by the way. Yeah, that one was that one caught my eye. That's why I grabbed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you again for that, and Jake, extremely generous as well. I should just be grateful that you know Christmas came January twenty eighth, but I should just be appreciative of both of you finally delivering. And I guess it took a little public discussion with Shane Steichen for that to. Completely false. For that to occur. It was like a, a week ago. Not a lot of urgency. Um, well, given the Colts track record with head coaches, we were like, we have pen to paper. has to be official. <laughs> right. Once he appears on the show, that's when Correct. you decided to yeah. move on from that. Yeah. I am, I will say, driving down here, I am a little disappointed um, in that this day, Thursday, March 9th, next week, St. Patrick's Day, et cetera, et cetera, I'm used to this being like, oh, yeah. The street signs, Big Ten tournament teams, everybody yeah, flocking I, I over to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And, you know, it's rare to have Purdue and Indiana both in the double buy format. But, Jake, think about it. This time last year, we were talking about Indiana in a must-win noon Big Ten tournament game against Michigan. Yeah, I thought about that earlier. You know, the fact that, it, you know, you, you when you walk around, you kind of take things for granted. because, I and, and I know I'm being selfish. But, you know, just, you know, oh, look, there's Minnesota fans downtown. And, of course, now the challenge, I think now, if they bring back the Big Ten tournament is remember, it was always fun. They would have the different bars or restaurants would be assigned to the to a Big Ten team. Right. Like, you know, Ram was like an Illinois bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, yeah, they had well, four bars for Iowa because they drank all of them. That's out. right. And, and but the problem is now they don't have enough bars and restaurants downtown to divvy up for all the Big Ten teams. Right. Well, again, maybe the close of Tiki Bob's led to the Big Ten tournament heading to <laughs> the United Center. Uh, Wisconsin, I guess, is out after last night. You can't probably lose on Wednesday night of the Big Ten tournament. And expect to be in the NCAA tournament. Ohio State beat Wisconsin last night in the nightcap. You had, I should say, the last game of the night. You had seven win Minnesota uh, beating Nebraska. So Indiana will play the winner of Minnesota and Maryland. That will once again be the last game of the night tonight. So IU will tip it around 9 o'clock on Friday against either Maryland or Minnesota. Played both those teams on the road this year. Struggled with Minnesota. Was able to win that game. Didn't beat Maryland on the road. Of course, as we've talked about, Maryland, a totally different team at home versus on the road. Uh, and then for Purdue, they will await the winner of the noon matchup today. It's a must win for Michigan. Rutgers would be well served to win that game. I think a lot of people view Michigan, Jake, very similar to how IU is viewed this time last year. You can't lose the 8-9 game, and then you need to probably go beat the one seed. So Michigan probably has to go beat Purdue Does tomorrow Rutgers- at noon. 
Is Rutgers in a situation where they still need a, another win or two, you think, to feel really good? Although to feel really good, yes. Yeah, but but there hasn't been enough bid stealing going on to really truly worry them yet, right? No. And uh you know a team that was not a bid stealer yesterday? Uh Butler. Holy hell, Jake. Yeah. That's I bad, mean, isn't it, it? It, it's bad and it's not good off the court. Correct. You know, and that is what is very shocking to me about Butler. I mean, Butler has kind of been, I don't know if it, it's this way for you, Jake, but Butler's kind of been the team I've almost grown up with, you know, and a little bit of like, oh, I'm at Butler basketball camp on an annual basis, you know, right. as a young kid. And obviously they had great teams early in my childhood. I had vivid memories at Cherry Tree elementary school at lunch them wheeling in the tv and we're watching butler wake forest in the first round of the tournament that's like one of my early like tournament memories and you know ask my parents if i can stay up to watch butler in the tourney and you have two guys yesterday and and i think it's worth mentioning jake this is not two laval jordan guys two guys thad mata brought in and manny bates and eric hunter not meet academic requirements how many times a year do you see guys not playing in a basketball game collegiately due to academic requirements? Kevin, here's, in my opinion, the challenge for Butler. And I caught, probably deservedly, some heat for saying this. I have said all along that Butler should not have left the Atlantic 10. And I had a lot of people who are smarter than I, just ask them, tell me that I didn't know what I was talking about because of the money brought in and the clout of being in the Big East. I understand. However, the number the first thing that I would address to that is if you talk to people that are a little more in tune to the finances of Butler Athletics, correct. The basketball program because of the Big East that does bring in a lot of money. But it also increases exponentially the travel money for the other sports and it's it's it stretches pretty thin pretty fast when you consider the cities that you're flying into the cost of those cities or or bussing into the cost of staying in them when you're going on the road etc it it's not as big a, a distribution windfall in the end as one would think in terms of the advantage financially but we always heard kevin about the butler way right what did we love about Ronald Norad and Shelvin Mack and Matt Howard and Gordon Hayward, you know, Thomas Jackson, Joel Cornett, those guys all were part of the we'll have Butler Jordan way. Cornett on the show tomorrow. And and this is one of the things we probably ask him about. All of those guys were guys that were not tremendous recruits, that were not household names coming out of high school. And they went to a program in Butler that they were still themselves helping to lift. So they went to Butler under the expectation from the time they stepped foot on campus that they were being asked to elevate something. And once that program has been elevated, the challenge Butler now has is now they have players that are coming there expecting Butler to elevate them and their profile. Hey, I'm in the Big East now. I'm a Big East player. I'm going to the league. I'm going to be. I'm going to play in the Garden, and ESPN's going to profile me. Whatever else, that's the challenge. The entire the Butler way used to be all chipping in together to be the little David that could knock off Goliath, 
and that's now transitioned into, no, we are Goliath. And that's been their challenge, and they have not handled it well. Yeah, and I think they can find sustainability in the Big East. I, I'm not one that thinks moving to the Big East was some crippling impact to their program. I mean, it was just a few It has years, been so far, though. Just a few years ago, Jake, where they won an NCAA tournament game four straight years as a member of the Big East. No, I, I get you. So it, it's not like they are this bottom feeder or should be this bottom feeder in the conference. But Thad Mata's got a whole lot of cleaning up to do. And like I said, some of this is Thad Mata's guys that that he brought in. Um, I know Manny Bates, the transfer from NC State, posted yesterday on social media about you know he did not meet the, I think it was the B requirements um, in his graduate program, uh, that average, and was very apologetic and took f- full responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Eric Hunter, of course, the grad transfer from Purdue. Uh, he's the lone senior on the roster. It's just you saw this a little bit late in the Laval Jordan tenure, and you saw it obviously this year in an incredibly frustrating way to end an incredibly frustrating season. It's just off the court stuff too. Like it's one thing to be run off the floor by 10, 15, 20 points seemingly on a, a night in, night out basis in the Big East. That speaks for itself. But I'm not used to Butler having this. And it, it's a huge wake up call. And I, I would assume they'll have an immense amount of roster turnover. I know they're not bringing it. I think they're bringing in two freshmen, but you're going to have to find a few more hits in the old portal. Um, so just an awful season. By the way, frankly, for Butler. Speaking of the Big East and the traditional Big East, I realize no longer Big East. Um, you know, Mike Bray, we now know done at Notre Dame. So that leads to a carousel of two vacancies. Maybe well, three. The first being with Mike Bray leaving Notre Dame, does Mike Bray become a candidate? I don't think necessarily. Well, obviously Syracuse has a, a, a coach, but Villa, or Georgetown is seven and twenty-five. They were beaten by thirty-two to end their season to Villanova. That's got to be the end for Patrick Ewing, right? Yeah, but nothing official, correct? Yet it wasn't like no thoughts about my future. Ewing said the last two seasons we've been rough, disappointed in the outcomes, and the last two years my future's in the hands of our president and our AD and the board of directors. Well, <laughs> should I be disappointed in Jim Beheim stealing Mike Bray's thunder? Well, that's the other thing. So, Jim, so I've heard the reason I mentioned it, I've heard Mike Bray supposedly, maybe you were the one that said it, mentioned as a Georgetown possibility. Yeah. Mm hmm. Obviously, has plenty of DC ties. I think a lot of Hoya Nation believes they could get Coach Patino. That would be big there for sure. Uh, Patino can still coach. Now, Jim Beheim, to answer your point there, Kevin. I recall way back when, when Syracuse kind of made, not a Cinderella run, but they weren't a, a huge name, at least to eighth grade me, when they went to the national title game against Indiana in 87. And Jim Beheim was this young, kind of nerdy, quiet, almost meek coach who ran this great defense. Shortly thereafter, his wife passed. He became kind of a sympathetic character. and Not kind of. I mean, he was obviously... That's that's obviously something of which you would have sympathy. Um, and then as he got older, he just became this curmudgeon and really kind of a jerk to everybody and had all kinds of, you know, scandal around him. I mean, he... He had an assistant coach accused of some very gross things. He was involved in a terrible accident that led to... Uh, the loss of someone's life. He was his program had, 
impropriety allegations all over the place and had to forfeit games and everything else. And he was just an arrogant jerk. Great, great, great coach. And yesterday he basically said, you know, it's up, it's in the hands of the administration. And the administration said, you're right, it is. And thanks for the memories. And that was it. And he's gone, right? It was a, when you have that kind of resume, you deserve a better departure. And quite frankly, the only way that you have that kind of departure that you had when you have that kind of resume is if you're an arrogant jerk, right? Yeah. There's no other way to explain it. I was on with JMV yesterday when the news broke, Jake, and I thought to myself, it's got to be over a decade now that Jim Beheim sat there and said, Mike Hopkins, he's going to be the oh, coach in waiting. I, I know. I mean, it's been correct. Now Mike Hopkins is about to get fired at Washington. Like, he has held on and held on. And sure, there's an element of you've earned the right to pick your successor and probably hold on a little bit longer than you should. But it has gotten to the stage of just constant, constant bitching and moaning and whining from Bayheim. I mean, 47 years, an incredible run. Adrian Autry will be the new coach at Syracuse, played for Bayheim in the early 90s. Um, but I just felt like, sure, you've had the once every five years, Syracuse is the 10 seed and they get hot and people look like they've never seen a zone in their lives and they get on a run. But this is a move that should have happened years ago. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Years ago. 2007. That is when he said Mike Hopkins is the coach in waiting. Well, then didn't he it's say... It's 2023. In, didn't he say in 2017, like, this would be my... Like, wasn't there I, a farewell tour supposedly at some point? I, I, seems like it. So Jim Beheim out. Potentially Patrick Ewing as well. Again, conference tournament play starts to ramp up. Uh, today, tonight over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, you will get a little action, even though it's not the college game. Pacers and Rockets, folks, I we got 30 wins on the line, and the Pacers are a nine and a half point favorite. Nine and a half point favorite. Got to be the biggest of the year. I would think that's the biggest, right? Would I would think it's. Did they have? Against Detroit or Orlando, did they uh, at a home game? Did they have bigger? I mean, nine and a half though. I, I I'd be shocked if it was that high. Um, I I did think, and you know, we, we touched on this a little bit following the Philadelphia game. I thought it was a really nice in arena tribute to David Benner um, before the 76ers game on Monday. Yesterday, a celebration of life for David Benner over there. Jake, I I, I love the variety of speakers we heard from yesterday. Um, I thought Reggie Miller was outstanding, told some great stories, touching from not only the NBA to give David Benner a Lifetime Achievement Award within their public relations department, really cool on the Pacers to um, be funding a journalism scholarship to an in-state college student um, that will be named in honor of David Benner moving forward. Um, I thought it was just a really, really... It's I think it's hard to find that balance of like, you know, having the sentimental value of sure you're still grieving, but then also trying to make it a celebration of life. It felt like yesterday over there was a great celebration. And yeah, it was. Kudos to Donnie Walsh, Rick Carlisle, uh, Tim Craig from the NBA, again the head of their PR department, one of David Benner's college friends, and then Reggie Miller. Um, all of them took turns to speak yesterday, and I thought all of them brought a very unique perspective. Uh, to a great human. I thought the... And, of course, Bill Benner as well. I thought... You know who I think did a great job? I've never met him. Still have not met him. Jeff Flat, 
who was a college dormitory. And for those that don't know David Benner, I understand that maybe it's esoteric. I mean, he was a longtime writer, as Kevin mentioned, and then the Pacers PR guy, brother of Bill Benner. When Jeff Flat, who and the lived, guy that Reggie yelled at before games, that's probably the easiest yeah, you're way right. to you're describe right. him in a public setting. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people who go to college, there's such an anxiety when you go away to school. You know, you you don't. It's the world suddenly is this huge place that's spinning a lot faster than you've ever felt before, and you go away, and whether you live in a dorm, an apartment, or a fraternity house, or a sorority house, whatever it might be. That, that first semester of college is such a critical time to get your bearings about you. And oftentimes that's what creates the bond. And, and it is such a valuable thing in living in the dorms because it's the first time in your life that you are almost forced situationally to gravitate towards people regardless of their differences to you as opposed to be magnetized towards those that are similar to you like you've done your whole life before that. So for Jeff Flat, who was one of the guys that David Benner ran with, when right they quad, met, right? Yeah, Nichols House and Right Quad. Um, that was I, I thought very poignant. And when you think about everyone else that spoke, everyone else that spoke at that funeral has been used to standing in front of people and speaking. So when you take a guy that was simply his buddy to get up there i thought not only did he do a great job in being the one to show the glimpse of david benner the person and the man but also to make it understandable in the fact that here is someone who had a very public persona but privately this is what he was to just his guys and i thought he did an outstanding yeah job. yeah he, he did an outstanding. i mean everyone did of course um i was talking to mike wells a little bit i know how you know nervous and you know, just kind of a foreign thing that that even wells did for someone that you know has history in public speaking and they had a pretty special relationship reggie miller did mention that the two most frequent questions he gets nowadays from fans when they see him it's one do you hate spike lee and two who is the guy that you were yelling at before games? Those right. are the two most popular questions Reggie says he gets. And he, you know, kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit on what those, you know, you know, fake yelling um scenes were before a game. He said it'd be something to the effect of, you know, David Benner would begin with like, you're not ready for tonight. You're not you're not locked in. Then he would move on to Cheryl is the best Miller. And then lastly, David Benner and IU grad would say to Reggie Miller, we should have drafted Steve Alford. <laughs> Trust me. You know that in 1987, Reggie Miller... Oh, I can only was, imagine the outcry. When he was drafted, Kevin, he went on WIBC radio, and they did a live call-in. It was about a week after the draft. Call in and ask the questions of the newest pacer, Reggie Miller. And some kid from Indy called in and said yeah I, I'm a diehard Steve Alford fan so what do you have to say about the fact that people would rather have Steve Alford than Reggie Miller and Reggie Miller said well I think eventually Steve's a great player but I think people will find out I'm a great player too and they'll grow to love my game <laughs> to which I the kid on the phone call said well I hope you're right <laughs> 
because I'm off to buy my Dallas Mavericks hat. I think his actions spoke over the next yeah couple decades. Yeah, here. when my buddies and I were and all the, sitting uh, at Old Pro's table watching the Pacers-Knicks series and the Pacers-Magic series and bonding together over that, that time, yeah, he was right. A beautiful tribute yesterday, David Benner. Lance Stevenson in the house, Dan Burke still with the 76ers, his relationship with David Benner still really strong, so... Um, really nice uh, late morning yesterday over there at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, we've got a loaded guest list today. Zach Osterman's going to join us at nine, or excuse me, at eight. Indiana, of course, getting ready to play tomorrow night in the Big Ten tournament. Something I do want to talk with Zach about this whole Xavier Johnson medical waiver to play next year it's not like a slam dunk you would assume that indiana has spoken to compliance people within the ncaa and they feel good about it but i know zach has a little bit more info on that um, because i think at times we thought oh wow is the first game of the big 10 tournament going to be the return of xavier johnson and then all of a sudden he goes from warming up and posting things on social media to being shut down for the season so we'll chat with Zach about that. Obviously, Scott Agnes going to join us coming up at 8.30. He was over there yesterday, so we'll chat with um, Scott about that. And then George Bremer at 9 o'clock. I've always said this about George, Jake, the most sane member on the Colts beat. Uh, so always enjoy the conversations with George. And something that I, I'd like to do with George is just throw the free agents at him. I mean, starting Monday, it, it, the, the combine of the free agency schedule has really shrunk. There's this small window between the end of the combine and the start of free agency. Starting Monday... You could have guys like Bobby O'Karake, Paris Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe. They could be gone. They could agree to terms right. with other teams. So starting at noon on Monday, that is where things begin to get real. Officially, it's Wednesday of next week. But Monday's when you're going to start to get some of those reported deals. Like I said yesterday to Stephen Holder, I don't think you stand on a table for anyone outside of a kicker in bringing back Chase McLaughlin. But at the same time, you've got five to six starters that are about to hit the open market if the Colts don't get a deal done with them in the next 72, 96 hours. So um, George always brings really good perspective. So we'll have him on at 9 o'clock to chat about that. Do you stand on tables a lot? You, you use that phrase a lot. When's the last time you stood on a table? Boy, that's a great question. Um, have you ever stood on a table, Mark? I mean, I've stood on tables. Really? Not Probably like college. Not anything. You know, at 6'3", and Jake, you probably run into the same issue. You stand on a table, you really got to watch the head. <laughs> no. You know? I, I've I never had that you, issue. You're changing light bulbs? What are you doing when you stand on a table? I, you know, I have... Standing on a chair. I Actually, stand standing on a, on a chair, chair. Sure. Yeah. I stood sure. on a table yesterday because I was painting our ceiling. Really? Look at that, yeah. Michelangelo yeah. over here? Uh-huh. Yeah. Are we settled into the new house? I mean, we're settled, but there's always, there's a, you know, being a homeowner, there's always something. I guess you would probably more like slam on the table, you know? All right. Yeah. I need your attention. What color is the ceiling, Mark? That's white. Okay. We went really different. Did you use rollers or brush? Uh, rollers for most of it and the brush for the edging. Good oh, for you, Mark. Yeah, it's exciting. It's uh, very exciting. I've never been more how's excited. How's the neck feel? Huh? How's the neck feel? It feels fine. Yeah. <laughs> this time tomorrow, are we celebrating win 30? Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, Are you kind of like, you know... When someone was about to break like break like Hank Aaron's record, was he in attendance mm-hmm. for every game? Are you going to be at every game? Well, I was there Monday night. I was prepared to storm the court. As I said, I was pleased to see Will Ferrell and Fifty Cent in the venue because I figured security would be a little bit more mm-hmm. inclined to them and not, you know, the guy in, you know, Section Three. But um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it tonight. Wow, 
It's a real dedication by you. Well, you know, at times I think you have got to take this in stride. So I don't know how public and demonstrative I should be about the celebration. But I did, you know, again, over there yesterday, I did have some people walk up and say, now, how much money are you making? And I, I refrain from a feeling. I said, it's just purely about the win. <laughs> yeah. It's purely about the win. If we can get to 30 celebration so once they if they win tonight you're you're like okay i'll lose every game yeah lose it move up the tank standings (laughs) oh totally selfish one thousand percent selfish from me one question i do feel like we haven't really chatted about colts draft related and i don't know maybe this is part of just it's march 9th and you're looking for a fresh way to talk about the colts quarterback situation moving forward is it a slam dunk the Houston Texans take a quarterback? You would think, right? Houston's, I mean, they have a lot of needs, right? Houston's sitting there with the second pick. New head coach. Defensive-minded head coach, for what it's worth. They also have the 12th pick. And I bring that up to say this. Next year, Houston already has two first-rounders. So, if they look at it and say, let's support the future at quarterback like no other. Let's do it in this draft. Let's take Will Anderson at 2, the defensive end from Bama. At 12, let's take the best wide receiver in this draft. And then next year, we'll come back with two first-rounders. I think they also have two fourth-rounders. And if we're not bad and organically drafting in the top three, we can maneuver our way up there and take a quarterback. It's probably me just whatever looking for a different angle, but... I am curious if it's like 1,000% a slam dunk, Houston will take a quarterback. Couldn't you say the same for Indianapolis? I don't... Even though Indianapolis is pretty much on record saying they're taking a quarterback? Right. I I guess three things. For one, yes, they are on record saying that they are going to take a quarterback. Two, they don't have the resources that Houston has in this draft or next draft. Four, they haven't gone through quarterback hell of constant veteran turnover with no playoff success over the last few years. Who would the... Who would the Texans quarterback be if they kicked the can for another year? Oh, man. Just go through the same Davis Mills one more rotation? time? Rotation, yeah. I mean, what if they waited until the second round and somehow Hendon Hooker fell to him? What, well, that's, what, 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 what if it got to be explored also, right? You know, again, pretty far-fetched probably, but just a thought that I had. I think anything's on the table. In, in this year's draft, I, I think anything's on the table, Kevin. Yeah. I, who knows, right? It's not like the years where you have Andrew Luck out there or, you know, the definitive can't miss number one quarterback prospect. And it's like, no, everybody's jockeying for that. I, you know, it's a really nice start to this Thursday morning here in Indianapolis. I don't think it's supposed to be super warm today. High 40s, potentially into the 50s, but really nice commute in here on this Thursday. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5175 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with what was not a pretty performance for the Butler Bulldogs that seemingly ends their season. St. John 76-63 over the Dogs. Butler now 14-18. and Presumably to finish the year because that ousts them from the Big East Tournament. And the big story was not necessarily what took place on the floor, Kevin, but as you had mentioned, those that were not there, right? Yeah, Manny Bates, Eric Hunter did not meet 
academic requirements of the program. Two guys that Thad, Thad Mata brought in this year via transfer. Just a, frankly, just kind of a pathetic way to end what it was an awful first season for Thad Mata at Butler. A whole lot of looking in the mirror for that program right now. And you got to think some roster turnover needs to be pretty immense uh, on the horizon. A lot to clean up there. Hunter is the only senior. Um, for Butler, but it was a very disappointing season, outclassed quite often in the Big East, and yesterday another example of that against St. John's. Uh, Elsewhere in college basketball today, it is Ohio and Ball State. That game getting underway, as a matter of fact, just six hours from now. one thirty tip in the MAC tournament, the quarterfiles that is in Cleveland. Ohio State coming, or excuse me, Ball State coming in at 20 and 11. They are 11 and 7. They finished in the MAC. Ohio, 18 and 13 and 10 and 8. So that's a 5 4 matchup in that conference. I love how the MAC is in the Cavs arena every year. That's cool for a mid major you know, conference yeah. tournament to be in an NBA arena like that. Speaking of an NBA arena, it was Chicago last night for the Big Ten tournament. Ohio State beat Wisconsin. That probably burst the bubble for the Badgers. Uh, so Ohio State moves on to face Iowa today. Minnesota, that is seven-win Minnesota, beat Nebraska 78-75. They take on Maryland tonight. The winner of that gets Indiana. So for Purdue and Indiana, it looks like this. Purdue's going to play at noon on Friday. They'll play the winner of the noon matchup today, which is Michigan and Rutgers. Michigan needs multiple wins in all likelihood to get in. Rutgers... Could be in the similar boat, maybe a little bit of a better resume than Michigan. And then for Indiana, as the three seed, they'll play approximately at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, and they will take on the winner again of Maryland and Minnesota. Association tonight, it is the Pacers at the Fieldhouse taking on the Houston Rockets, looking for that elusive win number 30 for Kevin Bowen to cash in and uh-huh. send his kid to Harvard. Yep. Well, yeah. yeah. Isn't that right? Well, we'll see if Max can live up to that hype. Yep. Uh, elsewhere in the NBA, last night, the L.A. Clippers got 47 points from guys drafted by the Pacers. Kawhi Leonard had 24 and 12. Paul George had 23. Clips over the Raptors, 108 to 100. Phoenix, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Celtics, the Cavs, and the Pelicans all notched wins last night as well. Uh, high score man in the NBA last night. Uh, you got a guess here? Gosh, I won't. Mark, Devin Mark you nailed it yesterday, before. right? Yeah, I have to think about who. Yesterday was quite the... Um process to get to the high score it was 44 point night for this guy that played collegiately at kentucky oh well i said devin booker yesterday can i stick with him you were a day early on really devin booker 44 points last night as the suns now have a four-game win streak kevin durant by the way uh twisted his ankle warming up that was awkward i'll never forget devin booker if i can talk about notre dame basketball here for a minute gets in in the elite eight game against notre dame ironically at the cleveland Cavs arena back in what was that 2015 and this kid banks in a three i'm like who, who is this chump coming off the bench banking in a three did he call bank I, I i don't believe so i think it was a wing bank even worse i'm like this guy stinks he's not gonna be anything no! you are a huge nerd by the way do we have the fred van fleet comments uh, i oh, need to edit that one beat fred van vliet in the sweet 16 that year to play kentucky fred van vliet and the shockers the wichita, wichita state? state they beat Indiana. Whatever happened to that Wichita that State year. coach with the nutty wife that supposedly had weird stuff on his computer? Well, it didn't. Did she get removed from Banker's Life? No, but she was. A couple was, years ago? Am I imagining things? Uh, Greg Marshall was his name, mm-hmm. right? 
Right. His wife uh, w- apparently was very uh, vociferous during yeah. the Wichita well, State game. I was going to say yeah. intense would yeah. maybe be a word to describe the Marshall couple. All right, we come back. Let's get in Colts for agency. Again, it is going to get really, really quick here starting on Monday from an NFL standpoint. Who to bring back, who to let walk. We'll talk about that next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, good Thursday morning to you. We were supposed to have Zach Osterman join us here in about 15 minutes. Unfortunately, cell phone issue for him up in Chicago. Hopefully he can get that figured out before Indiana takes the floor tomorrow night for the Big Ten tournament, so he will not be joining us. Something I wanted to chat with him about, Jake, was the Xavier Johnson situation. I know we're looking ahead a little bit here, but... The thought was Xavier Johnson would make his return at some point, late February, early March, potentially Big Ten tournament. And obviously the reintegration would be a huge storyline to keep an eye on. I think he was dressing for warm-ups. It was probably a little bit more of him like posting stuff on social media. I think Mike Woodson with a little bit more, let's pump the brakes on exactly when Xavier Johnson will make his return. But I think a lot of people were surprised by the timing of the announcement. That was, what, Friday, maybe? Saturday, something like that? I think it was Friday, I believe. Well, I think it was Friday. So they announced he will not play the rest of the season and will try to apply for a medical hardship to play a sixth college basketball season. So obviously the short term... It continues to put a ton on the plate of Jalen hood Shafino. It continues to, you know, oh my gosh, is Tamar Bates ever going to find some consistency? All of that. In the long term, I mean, Xavier Johnson could be your lead guy next year, which there are some positives with that. He's a very established college basketball player. I mean, this time last year, he really was a huge catalyst to Indiana making a run and getting into the tournament. Obviously, there's been Jekyll and Hyde nature to his game. You know, seeing Lance Stevenson yesterday was a reminder of, at times, I watch Xavier Johnson, think it's a little bit of Lance. Good X and bad X. Uh, but what I wanted to ask Zach was this, Jake. For a medical red shirt, I guess basically there's kind of two big criteria with it. One of the criteria is you don't play in the team's second half of the season, which Xavier Johnson got hurt Kansas That obviously was in the first half of the season, mid-December. So you would check that box. He'd be good to go. The other one is he could not have played in over 30% of the team's games. He's played in 11 of those games so far. So it's just over 30%. So ideally, Indiana would continue to win. Correct. You know that would. Does that include tournament games? I I would assume it it includes tournament games as well. Um, But wouldn't you think? Xavier Johnson doesn't make this announcement. Indiana doesn't make this announcement without having a good feeling that he that will he's be going granted be that medical redshirt. Yeah, I would think that's fair. I also think this is a harsh thing to say. I also think while he is a, a good player, obviously, and while next year they are going to be void of good players, because let's say... Let's look at Indiana's roster next year, Kevin, from a realistic standpoint. 
Trace Jackson Davis will not be in Indiana. Jalen Hood Shafino will not be in Indiana. Miller Cop will not be in Indiana. And then I think just based on the law of averages, I have nothing, not a, to, to quote Bill Poley, and I have not a shred of evidence for anything I'm about to say other than just the law of averages. But between Caleb Banks, Tamar Bates, um, I'll throw in Geronimo. I'll throw in Trey Galloway and Geronimo, okay? Well, I hope Galloway would return. But one of those guys is probably going to transfer. That's just the way of college basketball today. That that is not a statement about Indiana or those players at all. I'm just saying, based on the law of averages, you spin the wheel. Welcome to 2023. Correct. So, they are going to be void of offensive skill players. Xavier Johnson helps them in that regard. However... My concern would simply be because of the fact that we are in the transfer portal era, does now Indiana having a returning upper elder statesman ball dominant guard on the roster, does that now cross Indiana off the list for potential destinations for young freshman or sophomore dynamic scoring guards that are at mid-majors or other schools that are in a major conference that they feel like it's time for them to move on elsewhere or they have now put themselves in a category of what's the kid's name that was at Kansas State and went to Miami? Nigel um, Pack. Nigel Pack. You know, a kid like that, that that was playing at a school that was averaging 18, 20 a game that you know has talent and is looking to move on elsewhere that's a sophomore or just – in other words, it has multi-years of eligibility. Does Xavier Johnson's presence within the Indiana program now give pause for that kid to look at Indiana? I mean, maybe more of the point guard types, but I still think guys off the ball, you know, you're going to need and it would be enticing to play at Indiana because Indiana can offer playing time. From an NIL standpoint, they've been very public about that. They can offer, you would think, some NIL as well. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis is going to be a good amount off the books. Ray Thompson is going to be a good amount off the books. And I know, you know, that's not exactly probably the most politically correct term to use when talking about NIL. But let's be honest, NIL is no longer name, image, likeness. It's more of, you know, pay to play. Um, so I, I think that is something that Indiana could offer. You know, like, I know he didn't work out for Indiana, but, you know, similar to kind of Parker Stewart. I mean, he came to Bloomington is more of an off-the-ball guy. Right. Xavier Johnson is more of the on-the-ball guy. And they're going to have to hammer the portal. And the fact that Jalen Huchifino had some nice success this season, you would think would be attractive, I would think, to try and acquire some guys. Um, but boy, if Xavier Johnson's your lead guy, 38, 39 minutes, you better get the heart rate medicine now. Oh, I have that. Which kind would you like? Well, you could, I think, go on peaks.com and maybe sell that. And, do, you want a, do you want a beta blocker? I've got you covered. Do you want a statin? We're good. Who's that? It's 17th and Fee Lane selling heart rate medicine as you they walk into Assembly Hall. I got that, too. The more you can the whole, do. I got the whole cocktail, Kevin. What are, I, you, what are you looking for? I did see Dr. Motman in the building with you Monday night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Motman was there. Uh Talking up his hope for his beloved Pistons to get Victor Webinyama. His trip to the concession stand looked different than mine. Uh, his his eating habits looked a little, <laughs> just a tad different than than mine. He, at a he had a hot dog. And I'm like, uh, can we do that? 
<laughs> I'm like, can I have can I have one of those? Like, make sure that, can I get more fries in that basket there? there? Let me tell you, there are a few more things that are more guilt ridden than going to a professional sporting event with your cardiologist. Yeah, with the you know you got a free bar and a free concessions. I mean, come on. I mean, literally one of Maddie's favorite parts about going to a sporting event is like concession food. I mean, you don't really eat concession food on a frequent basis, or at least I, I don't think many people do. So the fact that you can go down that path is, they I think, got, always a nice break. They got the unlimited gummy bears down there, too. No, I've, I've only sat down there once uh, w- with access there, but it, it is a it's a very nice restaurant. Does Motman just look at you and just shake his head when he's like, okay, Jake, 10 packages is enough? I believe his quote to me was, I'm not as worried so much about the heart as the advanced diabetes. <laughs> That was a direct quote. <laughs> yeah, you want to get back to the game? Yeah. After that comment? Yeah, I mean, I'm like... Okay. Uh, a preference for Purdue. Rutgers, Michigan, you got a preference for... I think Indiana, you'd obviously rather play Minnesota I than, think for than Purdue, Maryland. you'd rather play Michigan, right? You want to see Dickinson? Jet Howard? Yeah, I think... I, I think know Rutgers be at there. home, but... I just think Rutgers' style of play is a little aggressive. Um, this Rutgers is different than the January Rutgers. That, that December also, Rutgers. That also true. Um I, Rutgers is just plucky. I, I don't know. I, and I also think, although, you know, Michigan may feel like they still need the one more, and that would really cement their ticket. So they might be a little dangerous. I, I do feel like if Rutgers were to beat Michigan, I think they're in at that point, right? Michigan might need one more, so that might be a little bit dangerous there. Again, Big Ten tournament play begins from. We still are not yet to the quarterfinals. Um, you've got to start a little bit, or I guess we're still at the play-in to get into the quarterfinals. Is um, Noon today will be Michigan and Rutgers. Kevin, I asked you this Center. yesterday, I think, but is it just my, you know, I don't know, advanced age, or is it the fact that, that you know, we cover Indiana and Purdue, and Indiana's not had a lot of success in the Big Ten tournament, and Purdue's had some, but is it just me, or is the Big Ten tournament now kind of a gravy thing for teams but if your team gets knocked out earlier you're like yeah okay i think it all depends on your standing entering it i mean this time last yeah, year if you've had a good year if you're a team that finishes in the top four in the big 10 regular season are you overly like invested in the big 10 tournament i let me go back to a couple of indiana i'm in a group text primarily iu fans couple of purdue fans in it and they were texting this morning how great it felt not to be playing last night in the Big Ten and how it feels even better not playing today. Yeah. Like, I think mean, about how Indiana fans thought Thursday morning last year. I mean, right. I talked about it to open up the show. Selfishly, I wish it was here for all the reasons why I love Indianapolis continuing to host the events that they do. But also, if you think about how Purdue walked into the Big Ten tournament last year versus how Indiana walked into it, two totally different mindsets. Now... Both fan bases are, you know, just naturally a little bit calmer from a one seed for Purdue, a three seed from Indiana. It probably is worth mentioning, Jake. Last year, Big Ten tournament, only one of the top four seeds made the semifinals. So is there something to be said for the extra games? You can kind of get some momentum or, or, or whatever, get your feet wet of playing the tournament. But last year, Purdue was the only top four seed to make it to Saturday. Yeah. So you had kind of the upsets. Obviously, Iowa won it last year. Um, you had Indiana, of course, pull off the upset over 
Illinois as well. I know Vegas doesn't say this. Vegas looks at Purdue as almost even money and looks at Indiana as the definite second favorite. And then it gets really jumbled together after that. But last year in the Big Ten tournament, we saw a whole lot of upsets on Friday nights. All right, we come back. We will get into the Colts free agency chatter again. It's nice outside. It is. I think it's one of those deceiving days, though. Yeah. One's like, it's really nice. And then you're like, oh, I need a jacket. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, upper 40s, potentially into the 50s today. Hopefully, weather cooperates this weekend. You know, last Friday, we had the uh, ugly sectional weather regional play. Uh, we'll talk with Greg Gregshaw about that coming up this weekend for the boys' basketball tournament. But next, we'll talk Colts free agency. Who to bring back, who to let walk. We'll do that on the other side. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Creative. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Selection by Mark Dykton spinning the hits here. I always get confused if this is the Clash or the Colt, but this is the Clash, right? This is the Clash, yep. Yeah. Mark Dykton's always on it. Always. Uh, free agency time. Good morning to you, by the way. 8 o'clock hour here on a Thursday in what looks to be uh, so far a spectacular start to the morning. A little chilly, but hey, a uh, great time of year here in March. Not only is the college basketball scene heating up, not only are we just over a week away from St. Patrick's Day, which is always fun, but NFL free agency as well. And those that could stay or those that could go. Kevin, you are... Chris Ballard, and you've got your little grocery cart, and you're getting ready to walk through the different lanes that are the NFL franchises. As you're walking around, you're looking for what position, and you are also perhaps letting which of your products go into the bargain basement bin. NFL's version of March Madness, right? That's Yeah, that's pretty much right, yeah. Um, let's start with their own and again monday starting at noon that is when you will see players agree to terms with other teams you know i say it in quotes legal tampering we know full well that a lot of that already happens behind the scenes did last week certainly at the combine wednesday at four is when the new league year officially begins so that's when you'll see trades become official you know the colts have made trades you know, in, in this week of March before, whether that be Yannick Ngakwe last year to Forrest Buckner a couple of years ago, I guess you got to mention Carson Wentz as well. Um, in-house, Jake, I'm going to read off some of these names, and you tell me anybody you would like to. Are we going with uh, slam on a table, or are we still going with stand on a table for? Stand, stand on the chair. Okay, stand on a chair. Change a be, light bulb for any of these. It could be dangerous. Okay. Paris Campbell... Matt Pryor. Those are the two offensive names. Defensively, Yanni Kangakwe, Ben Banigou, Taekwon Lewis, Bobby O'Karake. Yannick Ngakwe. You need Ngakwe, by the way. Um, give me again. Ben Banigou. Okay. Taekwon Lewis. Bobby O'Karake. EJ Speed. Cornerback Brandon Faison and safety Rodney McLeod. Okay. I, I, kicker Chase McLaughlin, I feel like we all can just kind of shake hands and say, you bring him back. I think he has deserved to be brought back and be the favorite to be your kicker in 2023. The first thing that I look at on that list is I don't know there's nobody on that list, Kevin, that I feel like the Colts can function cannot function without. 
However, there are a few players on that list that I think would be really nice to retain, which then means that in the event of a tie of two guys that are of equal need to you, the tiebreaker would be which has the better chance to be coveted by other franchises. Thus, I need to prioritize now before someone else swoops in and takes them away. The only player on that list, there's a curveball on one of them. There's one player on that list that I believe the Colts would have interest in retaining, but I think he, other uh, another franchise is going to come and pay him more money than what his value would be to the Colts. And that's Bobby Okereke, who I think had a really good year and is a really good player. But I could see some other team coming along and saying, we want to make you like a real feature linebacker for us like you were for Indianapolis last year. And for the Colts, that player, if he's back, is Shaquille Leonard. That's the, the, the Shaquille Leonard health is the real trick here, right? And you just can't move Shaquille Leonard. Why would any team Correct. say, oh, yeah, let's trade for Shaquille Leonard? I mean, first off... Well, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is for the Colts, they have to know Shaquille Leonard's availability from a health standpoint right? I, before I, they prioritize how much they're going to give to Bobby Okereke. Yeah, I, I should clarify. I wasn't speaking to you. I was speaking to... There is some people out there like, you just move Leonard. Oh, yeah, trade Leonard to the Bears. Well, yeah, I mean... I would need every single medical record that you've ever had on Shaquille Leonard if I were going to do that, let alone take on a contract through 2026. So, um, I agree with you. I, I don't think you have the finances to bring back a Bobby Okereke. Uh, when I look at that list, I guess a couple thoughts I have. First off, there is no bigger draft bust in the Chris Ballard era than Ben Banigou. How the hell did Ben Banigou make it to the end of his rookie deal? Yeah, that's hard to argue that. Mark, will you look up when Ben Banigou was picked? I feel like he was like middle of the second now, round. Now, was he the orangutan pick or was that Grover Stewart? For some reason, Hassan Ridgway is popping into my head, but maybe Ridgway was the one that announced that. Um, I kind of forget who exactly. You're talking about the zoo. Oh, yeah. The reference there to when the NBA or the NFL on day three had people announce those at the zoo. Ben Banigou was the 49th overall pick of the second round pick of the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, think about that. That's middle of the second round, yeah, and he was just a total no-show. Would you like to know some names that went after him? Yes. A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, Irv Smith Jr., Mercole Hardman, Paris Campbell, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson. Okay. <laughs> just to name a few. You're laughing. David Shouldn't Montgomery, we be crying? Terry McLaurin. Wow. That's the loaded 2019 wide receiver draft. Mm-hmm. Isn't Debo Samuel in the second round, too? Yep. He might have been earlier than Banigou, but Now, Paris Campbell, who is another name on this list, Kevin, to me falls in the category of probably has more value to Indianapolis than he does other franchises. Because I don't know what the free agency receiver list looks like, but the Colts need receivers. And they don't really have margin for error to lose any unless there's a big one out there they can get and or draft. Assuming he stays healthy, he was a nice player for them last year. And I don't know that he's going to be prioritized elsewhere, but I would go ahead and lock him in. That was the that was the Rocky scene draft too. Yeah, well, second pick oh in the second round, is that oh right? Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, not a 2019 draft does not 
Okereke, I think, was their third-round pick. Uh, he was certainly the best one of that 2019 draft. Not a lot of hits in that draft. Um, yes, I would bring back Campbell. And again, I know it's not a great wide receiver free agency class. Um, I think he complements what you have in Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. I mean, he had over 60 catches and 600 yards last year with really mediocre quarterback play. Um, mediocre is probably honestly a compliment. I am interested, and I, you know, I brought this up yesterday. You have multiple head coaches around the league that have history, recent history with the Colts. Frank Reich, of course, being probably the one that you think about the most with Paris Campbell. Do one of them step in and say, boy, Paris Campbell's a guy we really liked when we were in Indianapolis, and his health didn't cooperate the first three years. He played every game last year. Do they step in and make a move there? Um, a couple things to keep in mind about the Colts. Right now, around $12 million in cap space. That number can go up significantly when they make the Matt Ryan cut. Uh, they need to do that by next Friday. Now, you say, you say when and not if. Correct, when. Okay. Um, to me, it cannot be an if with Matt Ryan, and I would throw Nick Foles into that group as well. Um, you know, Jake, I, I don't know if... So again, $12 million in cap space. It's not the massive amount they've had in years past, but they can make that... You know, seventeen million when you cut Campbell that, or uh, when you cut Ryan that you throw on top of that. I am probably more pro bring back Yanni Kangakwe than most, and for a couple of reasons. One, Gus Bradley's been been retained. He's got a very specific skill set he looks for in the position that Ngakwe plays. I don't see that anywhere on the roster behind him, and I think it's difficult to find that in free agency. The other thing is, I don't think you can take for granted Yannick Ngakwe's rather remarkable availability at that position. Look at some of these names on the list. Tyquan Lewis, Jake. He's the Paris Campbell of the defense. He's had one season in his career right. where he's played double-digit games. Quiddy Pay's missed seven games in two years. Health. Think back to Komoko Ture. Had flashes, but just couldn't stay on the field. Ngakwe has stayed on the field on an annual basis. The back of the baseball card says this. He's going to play 15 or 16 games, and he's going to give you 9 or 10 sacks. And I know they weren't the most impactful sacks, but at a position where it's difficult to find somewhat quality, let alone quality depth, he's only 27, I would bring him back. You want more in the fourth quarter, yes, but I would bring him back. There is one other player on that list that I think that I could see like Bobby Okereke is going to get, and he's been a good player, but he's going to get overpaid by somebody, right? You you can't get in a bidding war, I don't think, for Bobby Okereke because I think somebody is going to Cato June him, which means come in and give him primary linebacker money. I, I think he's on Mark's Bears come yep. Monday. I, yeah. I think so too. I think he's with Matt Eberflus. They need linebacker help. There is another player on that list that if I'm the Colts, I slide up in my priority list because I I grab and lock him in before anybody else comes along because I think if somebody else were to give this player money and more reps he would he can be a good player and he has the ability to be a very good player as his role elevates for Indianapolis and that player is that player I think we both agree on EJ Speed correct yeah Jake, he played the most special team snaps of any Colt last year And not year as only well. that, Kevin, I think that if Bobby Okereke was not there, EJ Speed has shown me enough to be able to say he can be a suitable slide-up 
third linebacker, and he's a little Correct. bit of insurance for Leonard. I am very much bring back. I think Speed is one of those guys, Jake. If you have a really good scouting department around the NFL, though, you're thinking let's bring him into our system and let's take a chance, right? Because I think people view linebacker like interior offensive line. The Colts don't view it that way, but there are a lot of teams out there that view linebacker of like day three picks. But we don't need to highly invest at the linebacker position. We can get by at linebacker. And I think another thing that's worth mentioning with Ballard, he has drafted linebacker extraordinarily well. All rounds of the draft. Leonard in two, Bobby Okereke round three, EJ Speed round five, Zaire Franklin round seven. He's found linebacker hits everywhere. So bank on that. Bank on him doing that again come draft time. Let Okereke walk. Bring back Speed if it's manageable. And then I think you can double back. So... In the draft, we can agree though. Do you agree on Ngakwe or no? Yeah, I do. I, I don't think that's entirely off base. Um, I agree on this. Or tell me if you agree, I guess. Faceon and Matt Pryor might be looking at buy one, like maybe a buy one rental discount on the second for a U haul, right? Well, I mean, Faceon, he's got the Gus Bradley relationship though. I mean, I, the other guy that I'd throw in there would be Rodney McLeod. I know he's 32, 32 years old at safety. You, last year, you needed him. Nick Cross, yeah. you started week one, got benched halfway through week two. Rodney McLeod played the third most defensive snaps of any Colt for you last year. Um, if they let McLeod walk and they don't make a safety move, that probably says, hey, we feel great about Rodney Thomas second. We feel great about Julian Blackman. We feel great about Nick Cross. Cross, you, of course, would be projecting a lot more than the others um, now now so within gakwe and i know and, and uh, this happens a lot on this program and and I are you going it. back to the joke no not at all uh, and i understand this i mean i i get that some things there are a lot of things that, that we i don't get think tired it's of. your best work people get tired of a lot joke. of different things and one of the things that people get tired of is when they say you know what i i that guy was right all along and you know, and go down to the fourth floor. I mean, they talk a lot about things that that were where they were right all along, right? Um, I know that you rolled your eyes at my you need Ngakwe, but here we are now, and you're saying that in fact they need Ngakwe. So I was right all along with my nickname. My nickname, in my actually, opinion, that sucked. no, not didn't suck at all. Thank you, Jim. But I'm telling you right now, I think actually in reality, what Thank we you, had Coach there Mora. Thank was you, an incredibly Dyson. creative, off the top, spontaneous nickname. That now all of a sudden you've warmed up to it, you've come around to it, and you're saying to yourself, now, now that what that is is creative. Really looking forward to George Bremer joining us at nine to have a, a good back and forth with him on some of these names. One thing that I will say to George and Jake, we're going to find out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all next week. Has Chris Ballard changed? Has he changed? Do we see a more active first week of free agency Ballard? I've said this all along about Chris Ballard when it comes to free agency. You're looking for a happy medium between Ballard's approach and Ryan Grigson's approach. Grigson looked like he had never seen money before. Spend, 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 spend. I'm going to use it all and boom, you know, shopping spree to the nth degree. Ballard, you know, frugal to the nth degree. When you look at Ballard's first week of free agency history, and that that's when you have the best players available, he's found a Danico Autry. He's found an Eric Ebron. You know, a trade for a Buckner, a trade for a Yannick Ngakwe, using some cap space, using some draft picks, using some players for that. You know, I thought Xavier Rhodes had a nice run here, um, even though it was a short run. I think that's something that you're looking for in free agency. 
that looming question, and it's been kind of an annual question, and now the question is asked after going 4-12-1, firing your head coach, firing your offensive coordinator, and in the most fragile state Chris Bauer has been in from a job security standpoint in his tenure, we will find out starting next week how different he's going to be. Do you think Brandon Faison ever played hockey? Because if he played hockey, I just thought of this. Can you imagine the now? Who's the fellow that played Mr. Miyagi? Mark was that Pat Morita? Is that right? Yes. Is he still with us? I He's don't not, think right? So. No. Because can you imagine the marketing opportunity if Brandon Faison played hockey and Pat Morita was there at the beginning of a game and at the beginning of the game if he was there at center ice when they dropped the puck? You know what you'd have, Mark? What? You'd have face on, face off. <laughs> he is a moron. <laughs> what? What, what, what is he or that, I? What, what is that be, coming from? I. I know pronouns are a big debate. Can you nowadays. imagine that? I, I Can you imagine if I. you get Pat Morita out there on the ice at a minor league hockey game saying "face on, face off," and then they drop the puck? I, kids we really, flock Zach for miles knows for that. Us big time for this cancellation. <laughs> I'm telling you, just had to. You witness. know, I didn't get much sleep last night. Oh, I can't tell. <laughs> this from Mitch. Love the morning show and love Jake, but the Ngakwe joke is le- legitimately awful. It's not a joke. Real. It's not a joke. It's a, it's a it's a what it is. It, here's what it is. It's a crafty, creative play on words. Like I've had teachers tell me, they the people have called and they said, "Jake, I'm an English teacher, and I loved your crafty words because I used it for the kids." I don't have the patience to jack with you today. <laughs> this you. from Scott. I do think it's something to keep in mind for next week. Doesn't the lack of free agent wideouts mean that we shouldn't overpay for Paris Campbell? I mean, we've seen the wideout market. I mean, last year, Christian Kirk in, in Jacksonville. I think it probably means you. the lack of wideouts would mean that you would have to overpay, that you would have to overpay, right? Right, but I think he's saying the market's going to be so robust for Campbell because there's not a ton of them out there. I think you need to bring him back. I still would like to see another pass-catching move. Um, again, I know that's wishful thinking based off Ballard's history, but that's the route I would go. But I'm supp- very supply and demand would say that that increases his price if there are not a lot of receivers, particularly speed wideouts. I mean, Christian Kirk right. last year in Jacksonville is the example of it. How does the rest of the NFL world view Paris Campbell? I mean, there's mutual interest here. Paris wants to be back. The Colts want to bring him back. I know that, but how does the rest of the NFL world look at a guy that played what 15 games his first three years and then played 17 this past year? Like, do they have the same, you know, health scar tissue that like we kind of had with Campbell? Um, so that I think is going to be one that of the offensive guys, he's really the only one that matters. You know, it's the sleep deprivation when the creativity really gets going, right? Like, right, right here, Jake, face on, face off. That was a good one. These guys don't deserve you. See, exactly. Oh well, if the you'd like to leave, go right ahead. <laughs> the under Shannon Walsh texted <laughs> Jake that <laughs> Scott Agnes going to join us in ten. Uh, Pacers and Rockets tonight, nine and a half point favorite for the Pacers as they go for the win that Kevin Bowen's been waiting for to try and bet on the Players' Championship. Mark, you got a Players' Championship pick this week? I said uh, Xander. Xander? Yeah. I like it. Jake, you got a Players' Champion pick? Hmm. <laughs> That's a no. Hmm. How about that? Uh, the guy with the suspenders on. Well, I can never remember who's in the live stuff now. Uh, what about the... Justin Rose, is he still around? No, Justin Rose, I thought would be a live candidate, but um, I, boy, he's not on live. But I'm thinking to myself, is he even qualified? For I was going to say, okay, how about I'm going the, with the fiery Terrell Hatton? Not off to a great start, but Terrell Hatton is the pick this week. Sergio Garcia, uh, certainly live. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. How about that uh, Oosthuizen? Sergio's peak live. Oosthuizen on live. Nicholson. <laughs> He's a poster child. No, I'm aware. Uh, the How Masters, about that Greg Norman fella? Seve, Seve Ballesteros. Yeah, I'm afraid. Six feet under. Old Seve. Basically, don't take Jake. Who's back. the fella whose family all hates him? Aaron Rodgers. Besides <laughs> Thank him. you. Uh, ding. Uh, Patrick no, the, Reed. Yeah, Patrick Reed. Yeah, uh-huh. is he? Where is he? Oh boy, he is live. He's, de- he's got live written all over him. Branded he? Uh, tramp stamp, I believe, on the lower back for old okay. Patrick Reed. Dustin Johnson. He's over on the live side too, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anybody left? I think Dustin's enjoying the significant other. Woo! Uh, it's time for a morning checkdown here, Kevin Aquarius. The morning checkdown. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jake, mercifully, the Butler basketball season is over. I hate saying that. Um, Was in Hinkle for senior night. They can't score, and they continue to have issues off the floor. Manny Bates and Eric Hunter did not meet the academic requirements of the program, so they did not play in the Big East tournament loss to St. John's yesterday. Jake, we've talked a decent amount about Butler today on the floor. Speaks for itself. Consistent losses by 15 and 20 points in the Big East this year. But we're starting to see stuff off the floor of Butler. Laval Jordan era, and now in this case, two Thad Mata transfers. I said it earlier, Kevin. It feels like the Butler way has gone reverse now. The Butler way for so long when they were the Horizon League, even into the years of the Atlantic 10, everybody from, you know, going back to Thomas Jackson and Mike Marshall and, you know, all the way through, obviously Cornette into the Shelvin Mack, Ronald Norad, Gordon Hayward group. The Butler way were guys that collectively came together because they wanted to overcome the odds and let people know what Butler was. And and they wanted to all contribute to make Butler to elevate Butler. Now it feels like the Butler way is a bunch of guys that are hoping Butler elevates them. And it has not worked. I know that they've had some some early success in the Big East, but they've got to really reprioritize here. The the, the players that they have and where they are and the league that they're in, um I think it's and, – and I love Thad Mata. I do. I, I love Thad Mata. But they've got to do some serious looking in the mirror before next year. Uh, Manny Bates took to Instagram yesterday and said that and Manny's probably been their best player this season outside of Jaden Taylor. Took blame for it, full responsibility. Said he didn't meet a B average for graduate students. He's focused on his graduate studies moving forward. Excited about getting an opportunity to redeem himself. Jake, my question is, like, how as a program do you let that happen? Think about the academic advising you have. Totally. I mean, it's one thing to be suspended for you know Kennesaw State in late December for the Big East tournament. Imagine if Butler was good. I mean, it is, and not one but two guys, right? I mean, two guys, two transfers. Look at a Butler schedule here. Again, fourteen and seventeen. I'm counting up the losses, Jake, by double figures in the Big East this year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, and 13 of St. John's. 13 Big East losses this year by double figures. Would Several you, of those in the 20-point realm. Here are my three guys that are going to win the players. I'm going to give you three names. You ready? This is going to be great. No, I'm going to give you three names. And you're going to, and then when, when one of these three wins it, you're going to say, that guy's a genius and we need to listen to him more. He's you got ready? the leaderboard already pulled up. Oh, two under through five. Hideki Matsuyama. Has good history there. Rory McIlroy. Uh, Justin Thomas. Okay. All right. I, I 
I can get behind that. We we debated my, my brother and I are in a league. We debated Thomas and uh, Terrell Hatton. We went with the fiery Terrell, and it's not looking good to start things off. Sam Burns also fiery. Sam Burns pretty good player. I don't know if he's fiery, but very good player. Uh, Ball State, right? Name. Chirp, chirp. Is that one thirty today for Ball State? That is correct. Ball Mac State and Ohio. Uh, quarterfinals there for Ball State. They are our last mid-major hope from the state of Indiana to try and get into the dance. So we'll see if Michael Lewis is strong first season there and Muncie can continue. Big Ten play last night, Jake. Did that Wisconsin bubble burst? Certainly feels that way, right? And, you know, all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, is Ohio State ready to make their run? <laughs> they need five they need and it. five, right? <laughs> yeah. They got to win five games and five nights. Ohio State 65 57. Joe Lenardi had Wisconsin as his second team out coming into last night. So not good at all for the Badgers. Seven win Minnesota beat Nebraska 78 75 last night. So how today's schedule looks, it will go as this Michigan and Rutgers at noon. The winner gets Purdue. Iowa and Ohio State to follow. The winner gets Michigan State. Penn State and Illinois in the early evening session. The winner gets number two seed Northwestern. That just sounds weird to say. And the nightcap is Maryland and Minnesota. The winner gets Tone Loke and the Hoosiers at 9 o'clock oh, on Friday. Okay. Uh, the association last night, by the way, 44 for Devin Booker. Phoenix defeated Oklahoma City 132-101, overcoming the fact that Kevin Durant's anticipated debut in Phoenix did not get underway. He twisted his ankle uh, very awkwardly God, in warm-ups. Said he might be out thing. for the regu- rest of the regular season, though. That's wild. I mean, it was it hurt watching it, though. That ankle went completely sideways. Fire the ball boy, right? Uh, Hawks over the Wizards, 122-120. Did the, fire, did the ball boys get paid? I, well, that's I would a hope good so. question. Well, you don't get the pregame meal, Johnny. Go back to that's high right. school. Uh, Celtics over the Blazers, 115-93. Cleveland, Here's all New the Orleans. gummy bears you want, though. That Now that, sign me up. Uh, Chicago and the Clippers all win. Paul George with 23 last night. Kawhi Leonard with 24. Again, tonight over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, 6.30. Our coverage begins here. It's 7 o'clock tip. Pacers favored by nearly double digits against the Rockets. We'll see if Aaron Neesmith returns. He's missed the past couple games. Looked like he did practice yesterday. The Rockets have won two of their last 14. Those two wins both over the Spurs. They are 15-50. and 50. They stink. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton. By the way, I did like the Reggie Miller, Wally Zerbiak shout-out yesterday. Oh, yeah. Um, to Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton's five games since the All-Star break, 27.6 points, 12.2 assists. He's shooting 57% from the field, 48% from behind the arc. Boy, some of it is probably my fault, Jake, maybe our fault. Like, do not take him for granted. I... Those numbers... 27 and 12 on nearly 60% and 50% shooting. And he's atop the scouting report every night. You just hope he sticks around, right? Scott Agnes joins us next. Talk more Pacers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Picturing Scott Agnes walking to his media seat with this. Scott, we saw on Monday night, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files joins us. We saw Will Farrell, 50 Cent in the building. For those that might have missed that, could you explain why those two were, for different reasons, in the building on Monday? 
Yeah, but combined and, and plus Reggie Wayne and, and Pittman Jr. made for kind of felt like a different scene than we're used to, higher stakes game uh, than we're used to. But Will Farrell was on a uh, he's on a journey across the country, is what I was told, filming a documentary and was on in town, so he called the Pacers up. Um, and then Fifty Cent has an alcohol deal that he's a part of, and and as part of that, they've signed an agreement with the Pacers to you know, sell it at games and that type of stuff. So that was kind of more of a business um, situation, I, I believe, with all that. But uh, to Will Farrell, I'll give him credit. After the game, him and his team uh, were in the media room afterward, and there's probably six, eight of them gather around at the table. It looked like two people were on, uh, you know, conference call through their iPhone, and they were working afterward. But during the game, uh, there was at least one or two cameras filming his every move. He was mic'd up. Um, as as I think you guys talked about on previous shows, he was grabbing the uh, MC mic and, and yelling things to the crowd, which I'm sure they'll use for that documentary. But uh, it, it got a lot of interest from Pacer fans and I think just NBA fans. The one thing that, that I hope, and I have nothing – Nothing to base this on other than just like an intuition. Although Will Ferrell seems to be... Jake wants to make sure he's in the documentary is what that's he's right. about to say. Um, <laughs> not happy with his Hard Knocks appearances. The Will Ferrell's appearance, I think, was not like... they. I don't know that the Pacers totally knew what to expect. I don't think in any way, shape, or form for the sake of his documentary that Will Ferrell, say, took advantage of any situation... But I don't know that there was total transparency as to what exactly this documentary is. And based on like his wardrobe and the things at Walmart, I'm hoping, although I have a little bit of a concern, that this is like a Borat type thing where he is putting people in situations to make them look bad at the cost of humor or, you know, to make humor at the cost of people looking bad. I hope that wasn't the case with the Pacers, but I'm curious to see what happens. I'll yes, say, that's I'll, a good I'll point. I, I, yeah, I would agree, and I, I wish I knew more about what he was getting into. But you're right. I mean, for example, we he, they, he went in, uh, inside the team locker room before the game while carrying a beer, which Rick Carlisle referenced and offering it to a player jokingly. But you never know how something like that could be conveyed on the big screen. So, yeah, that's a good point. Scott, before we get any further and talk about tonight and just where the Pacers sit with about 15 games to go, I do want to touch on yesterday. You know, Jake and I were over there along with you, and I thought it was a beautiful tribute um, and a celebration of life to David Benner. And, you know, from Lance Stevenson in the building, I believe you were saying Dan Burke was there after the Sixers had just played a back to back. Um, and, and what Reggie Miller shared, you know, Reggie strikes me, and I am pretty sure this is true. Like, it's not like Reggie shows up to a lot of. You know, Pacers centric stuff. I mean, he obviously still has a great love for the franchise he played for th- throughout his career, but I mean, he's living in California, obviously works for TNT, et cetera, et cetera. Not only was Reggie present yesterday, but you could feel how real and genuine his relationship was with David Benner. I thought that was really cool to see. Yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, you touched on it right there. That's one of the takeaways from all of this is it, it, Benner was. Reggie's touch point to the organization to which now I'm very curious what it will look like say over the next five years and beyond because if the franchise needed something um, from Reggie or record a video or do anything like that that was DB that he, that was his his touch point with all that um, Donnie Walsh is retired Larry Bird's not around the franchise anymore things like that 
so that was kind of the the last kind of bit of outreach. But no, yesterday was spectacular. I mean, I was stunned. Every seat was filled. People were standing. Um, you had so many different people, past and present, from. You know, yeah, you mentioned Dan Burke, and he even visited once a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it was wanting to visit DB at least one more time. Um, just so many former employees from a travel coordinator to assistant coaches. Like, it was just unbelievable to see all the different people uh, David reached. And as part of that, that's what I wrote in uh, as well, how it kind of felt like a giant family reunion coming back for this. Like, that's what it was, I think, for anyone that was around or had been associated at all uh, with the Pacers. So I thought it was really well done, and I was impressed, impressed with both the ceremony and the turnout. I thought the thing, Scott, that was perhaps David Benner's last big gift to the Pacers is the fact that you had Tyrese Halliburton there. You had Miles Turner there. You had players there that were able to see the solidarity of the franchise and the core principles of the franchise in terms of the unity within the franchise prior to those guys arriving. Not that they're not aware of that, but to kind of instill in them, to your point, this is a family-type feel. I don't know that you get that with the Lakers or the Knicks or the Heat the fact that there is kind of a bond that happens in Indiana because it's you against the world here. And I thought it was good for those guys to see that on display because it was very present, right? It was very present that there were a lot of people that have a lot of different functions within the franchise that all had a common link. And that was good for the for guys like Tyrese Halliburton to see. And I think those guys absorb that kind of thing. Yeah, that was so well said. I think not to be on the players, um, just anyone here and associated, I think, with the franchise has to fit, has to be, uh, has to have an understanding of what they're getting themselves into, right? And so from the players' standpoint, yeah, it was kind of passing it down uh, along the way. Several of the players, the, one, the players outside of Tyrese that were there had been with Benner for three or four years. So that those I understood. I thought, again, it was telling of Tyrese, the player and human that he is, that he was there. The face of the team was sitting in row one, even though he knew DB very little, that they had been together you know, officially you know, at the end of last year for like maybe two months, and that was it. Even at yesterday's practice, in the middle of asking him questions, he goes, hold on, actually, I got one more thing, and wanted to talk about him because uh, when it happened, when he passed away a week ago, that was when they were in San Antonio and Tyrese was injured, therefore did not talk to the media. So he had not had an opportunity even to speak on this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the governor was there, for example. Like, how many other cities' franchises are eliciting that type of crowd with those type of dignitaries with, you know, I think it was like four or five different PR people from other staffs flying in. Like, he was uh, huge in so many different ways that I'm not sure – I even fully recognized until after the fact. Yeah, the head of PR for the NBA gave um, the Benner Family Lifetime Achievement Award for David. The Pacers announced a scholarship going to a uh, someone in a state college here in Indiana, a journalism student moving forward in David's honor. So, again, a really special day over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse yesterday. Scott has more, by the way, on Fieldhouse Files and also on our website, 107.5, the fan from yesterday's celebration of life. Uh, shifting gears, Scott, to tonight. 6.30, our coverage will begin. Again, 7 o'clock, it's the Rockets 
I don't know if this will be the case for the rest of the season, but I think it's been the case for the past couple of games. Do you think Rick Carlisle has kind of gone to George Hill and Daniel Tice and said, all right, thanks, but we're probably going to keep you at the end of the bench moving forward? Yeah, so when George Hill got here, that kind of began it became the case. Uh, they kind of recognized that and had that understanding. It's Tice like played they, early, and Hill played early a little bit. Tice much more so than, than George. Yeah, so in George Hill's first game, he was available. Of course, he's going to get him in there. And then he started in San Antonio a week ago. Well, that's where his career started. It was against Greg Popovich and company. His wife and two kids live in San Antonio. So that was... That was a little bit part of all that, and I think he only played 15 minutes. Now, with Daniel Tice, it was about a week ago, right right at the start of that road trip, when, when Rick and Daniel had, first had a conversation, and I, I believe there's been several, um, just about this. That you know, it's, it's, And it's a tough one, because think about Daniel. All he's overcome, how he wasn't in training camp or participating in training camp, and then he needed this surgery. Uh, that was, I think, in early November. And now, you know, fully healthy, and he was just starting to feel almost back in shape in himself again. Now it's like, all right, we're going to prioritize something different. It's no knock on him, to be clear. It's to have a further understanding on Jalen Smith, on Isaiah Jackson, because I think they need to get some clarity on that going into the off season. So in turn, while he's available for games, they're going to he's further down now in the depth chart for the remainder of the year, essentially. You know, it seems to me, Scott, I thought it was interesting, and I can't recall which game it was. It was recently, you know, Jalen Smith started giving them some good minutes again after kind of being buried, and Rick Carlisle very subtly alluded to the fact of, like, I really like how Jalen came in and did what was being asked of him, It said, you know, dot, 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 mm-hmm. and it kind of got the feel that maybe Jalen Smith kind of went into the control chair for a couple of weeks and just that maybe I don't know Jalen Smith, so I don't, I don't want this to be an attack on him personally, but I felt like maybe there was the, the insinuation there that Jalen Smith was starting to play a little bit for Jalen Smith more than for the Pacers, and so they just kind of reset the deck a little bit, and that he, as a professional, responded back with the way that they wanted him to in terms of a team concept of where his minutes went and his role. Uh, is that me way overthinking it? No, I, I think it's even bigger than that. It's m- even more so the second unit as a whole. It's even bigger the the, the young guys. Um, that's been the message that Rick's been emphasizing for many weeks now. And the main target of all that has been Benedict Matherin. Um, you know, we all know everybody's clamoring for him to start, to get more minutes, to always finish games, whereas he mostly does. Um, but several times, Rick, you know, for example, has talked about, hey, look, we know he can get 20 points. We know he can do this and that, but we're asking more. And so it all goes back to the, the same general conversation with all these guys is if we're going to have accountability, we have to enforce it. We need guys to play unselfishly. We need guys to be looking after the team and what's best interest while they're out there rather than their individual. And I think a lot of that, in fairness, too, how many times has the second unit got into the game? They're down 15. And they got to do something, right? And, and you know, because the Pacers have been the worst first quarter team in the the league. Now it's gotten a little bit better, but I, I think there's also that natural instinct to be like, all right, well, nothing else is working. Let me try to do this, and let me try to do that. And in turn, as a collective, 
it hasn't been working uh, as nearly as much as the head coach and, and his staff have been wanting. But for Jalen, this is a difficult situation because all offseason he planned and had trained for playing the four. Then they realized after 27 games, you know what, that's not best for the team. So then he has to sh- shift back to the center spot, which then falls deeper on the depth chart. So he's really had inconsistent minutes since mid-December um, and is just starting to maybe feel a little bit like himself again. The biggest thing he talked about um, about the struggle and being in and out of the lineup is how he's a big overthinker. So maybe he's overthinking it and just needs to simplify when he's out there. Scott, last one from me, and it's not something, again, that I've been clamoring for, but I, I do think it makes sense at this point of the season, and, and you brought it up, is putting Benedict Mathern in the starting lineup next to Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, in a way, in telling George Hill, and especially Daniel Tice, all right, you're going to sit. You are kind of saying, all right, we're committing a bit to the future here in the final 16 games. I look at it and think it's a nice opportunity to put Matherin alongside the guy that he's going to be paired with moving forward so you can get a little bit of a head start on any potential growing pains or just get them used to it. Because you know if you go out and find a nice piece next year, or this offseason in the draft, you could be a playoff team next year. And I think a key part of that would be getting Matherin and Halliburton used to playing together. Again, kind of getting some of those those kinks out. That, to me, seems like a good idea right now. Why don't you think they've gone there? I go back to what, if you taking Rick of what he's shared all season, is he, he doesn't want to skip processes. He, doesn't want, he wants Ben to get the full NBA experience, for whatever that means, uh, completely. Um, and in doing so, earn his way a little bit. Maybe that is part of it obviously the the real number one thing too is you have buddy healed in the lineup and are you gonna I, I think if you transition him first of all you're not going to tell buddy he can't play uh he, he's a guy that just does not miss games and him and ben are the only two players not to miss any games this season what about that so, third spot though i feel like they've kind of rotated that third starting spot if you want to call it in the backcourt in terms of nemhard yeah nemhard yeah it's probably been the most frequent one duarte's had a little bit of a brief experience there yeah, the main thing with that is Nembhard's defense, and he's kind of the such a great um, high IQ and and verse, he's a versatile defender, and so that that's the primary reason he's out there. I don't disagree that yeah, and maybe that's what you try to figure out is what does it look like with Nembhard and Matherin and Halliburton out there, or or is it Buddy instead of Nembhard? Those sort of things, a little bit of ex- experimentation. Um, it's definitely a good point. I just think it seems like. They really like where the second unit is at right now, and uh, he even noted the fact that they the bench scoring leads the league. Uh, that was something that was noted yesterday, for example. But yeah, I'd be all for trying different things right now, and being able to really capitalize on these final sixteen games and getting something out of them, so that you have you know some numbers that you can play with and and, and some chemistry that you can build on going into the off season. Scott. Kevin put a huge wager at the beginning of the year on the over-under for the Pacer total wins at 30. They're sitting at 29. This is his kids' college education fund. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, plural on kids there, yep. Can, mm-hmm. can Kevin start looking at private schools tomorrow morning? <laughs> 
I, I, I think so, because the next three games, I think it's almost a lock that you're going to get. Well, you need just one more, right? Just one. I mean, how about tonight, Scott? Yeah. They're a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Jake was yeah. asking earlier in the show, that's got to be the biggest spread of the year for the Pacers as terms of fate. I know that's not something you're totally locked in on, but I can't think of a game this year where they've been that big of a favorite. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. And Houston's playing awful. Like, they have not played a fun brand of basketball for months here. Uh, you could see why Eric Gordon wanted to get out of there. Um, <laughs> they they are completely rebuilding, and then who knows what they'll even look like next year. But, yeah, tonight would be certainly very favorable. Kevin Porter Jr., their second leading scorer, is not even going to play, I don't think. So um, it's very advantageous. And if it does not happen, you got two over the weekend up in Detroit. So Kevin Porter Jr. is the classic Jake Quarry definition of a 2025 guy. Destined to there score 20 is. a game on a 25-win team his entire career. Do they have Kenyon Martin's kid? They do. That's, yeah. I don't know about you, Scott, but when I saw Kenyon Martin's kid was in the NBA, that was one of those, man, I'm getting mm-hmm. old. Just wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, too, I see, see Jameer Nelson's kid, I think, is in college. Jameer Nelson was one of the best players that I worked with as a ball boy. He always tipped us so well. Really? And so I'll always be rooting for this kid. He's a Delaware guy, I think, his kid, right? I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. But Former I Notre Dame point guard Martin News update on <laughs> Scott, uh, it was good running into you, I, albeit not the circumstances we wanted. But it was good seeing you yesterday. Um, great stuff and covering that and looking forward to the coverage tonight. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, good to see you both yesterday. Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. there, Kevin. Right there. It was kind of in the back right area. Sat next to um, Tony East, right behind Ronald Norred and Jenny Buchek. Uh, and... Uh, Dustin DePirac. Yeah, I see Dustin DePirac, and Dustin and I used to cover the Indiana men's basketball team together probably over a decade ago. Dustin obviously has been on our show here. I haven't probably seen him in person, it's though, in a Dope-a-rack, couple Dope-a-rack, right? years. Dustin DePirac. And he goes, uh, I'm like, hey, man, good to see you. And I know it's been a while. He's like, yeah, man, you've got some more gray hair since I saw you last. <laughs> well, I was like, well, have you ever met my co-host? No, it's the, it's, and, the, it's, and the hours. it's the hours. That's all it him. is, the hours. It's not two kids. It's not the hours. It's simply it's the, hours. the company that you keep. And by the way, 15 hours a week, will turn it like Since this. Houston right now has the second worst record and the Pacers are sitting at sixth, time for a quick sim lottery before we go to break. You ready? <laughs> little tankathon here. Here we go. You got to hold on. Hey, the Pacers are only, uh, what, Pacers two games? Pacers are sitting at sixth. Two games back of the play-in. You want to you want to go there? They've got one of the easier schedules down Mark, the stretch. Mark, you let me know when. With the eighth pick <laughs> in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Cam Whitmore from Villanova University. It's been a popular one here lately. Uh, Colby Jones going 26th, and oh wait a minute, wait a minute, hold the phone. With the 28th pick, Hunt Shafino, and the 2023 NBA mock draft tankathon, the Indiana Pacers select Jalen Hood Shafino from the University of Indiana. I know it was the free space game last night, but Cam Whitmore was pretty good. 19 and 10 against Georgetown, eight of 11 <laughs> the free from space the field. Game. Oh yeah, the seven and uh-huh. twenty-five Hoyas mm-hmm. have become the free space uh, game. Trust me, I said to Mike Bray, "How did we not get them on the schedule this year?" You said that to Mike Bray. Well, I would like to say that to him, but now Mike Bray might be coaching them. Hang out someone the linebacker, you'll run into him. Someone over there at the Pacers yesterday said Ronald Norad to Georgetown. 
Ronald Norad coaches the heck out of those guys Can defensively. We get him to South it's Bend. It's impressive. It's impressive watching him. But doesn't I mean Ronald Norad will be an NBA coach in the next five years, I think right? That's right, yeah. Let's see if he can go to South Bend. Um, we're going to talk Colts free agency. The St. George Bremer. Uh, we'll go back and forth with him coming up in about five minutes. Now, understandably so, people are giving me heat because in my David Stern impersonation with Jalen Hood Shafino, I said the University of Indiana. Perhaps that's an esoteric reference that only I get. But now, <clears throat> let me play. This is this is David Stern announcing Calvert Chaney. Will this play over my phone? Do you think, Mark? Mm, here we go. All right, here we go. This is this will be great audio. I'm sure. Really good audio. Sounds like Ursa on the jet. He always said University of Indiana. <laughs> Never would say Indiana University. Isn't there one in Pennsylvania? There is. Uh, I believe Brian Evans' daughter plays volleyball at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I do not IUP as it's known. think Jalen Huchifino is getting out of the teens. It's, it's hard to argue that. He might even I, climb out of the teens, like higher up, depending I, on what he does here. I don't disagree. Next month. I, I think he right now is like a 12 to 20 pick. A little bit more dynamic Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. Potentially at the next level. Uh, all right, George Bremer, he joins us next. Colts free agency begins here in a few days. NFL free agency begins in a few days. We'll go back and forth with George on those names. We'll do that next. Nine o'clock hour in Indianapolis. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. For that matter, it's the 9 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5107.5, The Fan. A lot of good guests to talk to here before we round out the show on a sun-splashed Thursday morning. Um, and plenty of talk, Kevin. There is no off-season when it comes to covering the NFL. Man, when you say sun-splashed, I've said this to you before, I think that final Sunday in May. You you say that early in a race. Hey, George. You will drop that line. Sun-splashed here on the backstretch, right? Uh, That's right. I do. I told you, like... I always think about, because I listen to old Indy 500s, like from the 50s, and I'm, you know, if there is one person 50 years from now that's listening to a race from 2023, I want them to be able to, I want to be able to try to tell them what it looked like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's really cool, a little peek behind the curtain here. Um, Scotty J, our great, great producer here, he was asked us to do some voiceovers, pretty much kind of pass the torch to the IndyCar radio network, the IMS radio network, um, with those uh, 500s and 60s. Am I saying that right? 560? That's what we uh, air, you know, quite frequently in the month of May, and particularly that Saturday right before the race. I'm like, man, that's... I'm pretty, honored to do that. Pretty special to be able yeah, to do that. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to doing some of that and always enjoy listening back to some of those old 500s. We'll see how fast the car is for the Colts next week as the NFL's version of March Madness hits free agency again. Begins officially Wednesday, but Monday at noon is when you're going to start to see 
some of these deals trickle out. To talk more about that, the most sane member of the Colts beat from the Anderson Harold Bolton. He is the great George Bremer. George, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We are doing wonderful on this Thursday morning. I will begin here, and I do want to get into some of the actual like free agents to kind of debate some of the names in-house for the Colts. But let's begin with just the overall approach, the overall philosophy. It's been an annual question with Chris Ballard. Do you see him spending more? I think when he spent in week one of free agency, you can point to a lot of hits, uh, but it hasn't happened too often. How, if any, do you think 4-12-1 and the lowest point of his tenure will alter his approach next week at all? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously they're, they're coming off of a terrible season and you know he's probably under more pressure than he's been at, at any point in his reign here so far the other part of this though i think that could play in is just the new coaching staff i mean anytime you have a new head coach you look around the league usually there's a lot of new faces it just sort of goes hand in hand whether that's big money deals is a whole other thing but you know you would figure former chargers former eagles uh, all those guys will be in play because they know shane Sykin's system uh, and you just, it seems to be the way things go, you know, across the league. If they spend more, George, next week, and again, maybe just make a fewer, bigger deals, will that tell you more about, again, 4 12 and 1, roster turnover is going to be immense? Or will it say to you, they know they're going to trade up in the draft, and therefore they feel like they need to support the rookie quarterback a little bit more in free agency than potentially in the draft? Yeah, I think that's a big factor of the draft. Also, you know, if you do trade up in the draft, you're going to use a lot of assets to do that. And so it's going to be even more important that you get free agents in here because you're not going to have those picks, you know, to fill those same roles. So uh, I think it's it's such an intriguing offseason in general. Uh, and with the draft, you know, just being fascinating right now with all the permutations that could happen there in the top five. And I think all of that feeds into free agency. And then you throw onto that 4-12-1 and the new head coach. Uh, the, only, the only thing I think that, that takes a little bit of the starch out of free agency this year is they don't, right now they don't have quite as much money as they've had in the past, but there are some moves they could make in the next few days to clear that up as well. Do you believe, George, when you look at the Colts cap, right now $12 million roughly, it's going to go up, as we talked about, assuming that Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are – thanked for their service and moved along that that number goes up a little bit but do you believe that that is money that that the Colts would like to kind of distribute evenly throughout or is there one player or position where they say come hell or high water we're going to spend the predominant amount to secure this position or this player yeah I mean obviously historically they're going to spread it out from what we've seen I do wonder about Orlando Brown just because that's another one of these positions that left tackle, that there's been a little bit of a turnstile there. Now, a lot of that depends on how they feel about Bernard Raymond coming off of a strong finish to last year. Uh, but you could, in theory, bring in Brown, move Raymond to right guard, you know, really solidify that offensive line, at least on paper. Aside from that, maybe a quarterback would be one of the bigger spins. But you figure that's going to be backup money uh, because that person's not going to be promised probably anything more than coming in here with a chance to compete with the rookie. Outside of that, corners can be expensive. You know, maybe you go that route. It still just feels like, you know, if you're in Vegas and you're putting your own money down, 
you would think it's going to be more of a spread it out, bring in multiple guys kind of a situation. It's the great George Bremer covers the Colts for the Anderson Anderson Harrow Bolts, and we're talking some free agency with him. Again, the fireworks should begin starting on Monday. All right, George, in-house free agents, about five to six starters. You would throw Chase McLaughlin into the starting level group as well. Who are your no-brainers, this guy you need to bring back? I, I think Chase might be the only one that fits that particular label. I mean, when you look at you know just the job that he did last year, the, the number of 50-yard kicks he made alone, and the issues they've had at that position the last few years, that one should be almost automatic. Just bring him back and, and get that taken care of. Outside of that, I'm not sure there's anybody else. There's some guys that they would like to have back, I'm sure, more than others, but I don't know if there's anybody else that just you know just go ahead and and fill in those numbers and, and here they are. Yeah, I I would agree there. The the next person that, that I want to go with is Yannick Ngakwe. And George, I think if I were to say to you last year, the Colts would have a defensive end in his twenties, twenty seven years old, play fifteen games and have nine and a half sacks. You would say if you were Chris Ballard, where do I sign up? Like those are numbers from a age availability and sack number standpoint. They have not sniffed really at the defensive end position in quite some time. Having said that, we know consistent pressure late in games were an issue. We know he's not necessarily a three down guy. Where do you stand on the Ngakwe free agency debate? Yeah, you got to throw in his familiarity with Gus Bradley as well. Sure, and, you know his history there, uh, but I. I think Odangbo complicates this a little bit, honestly. He came on at the end of the year, and they drafted Odangbo and Pei with the idea that they were eventually going to be those bookend kind of pass rush guys. Given the, the salary cap situation, the way it is, like we just discussed, you might lean more towards that. You know, Bring Tyquan Lewis back on a, a really team-friendly deal uh, and let those kind of be the top three guys at that position. It's similar to what they did two years ago, and that backfired, so that might change their thinking. Uh, but when you look at you know what they, they talked about on draft day when they brought Pei and Odangbo in here, maybe their time has come. Aren't they different types, Pei and Odangbo, though, than Ngakwe, when you think about that, that Leo position, which Gus Bradley wants as more of kind of a smaller, just pure rusher? Oh, absolutely. Very much different types. Uh, but I think they feel confident in Odangbo over there, which is odd. Because I think when when Bradley first got here, that was one of the big questions. Which side will Odangbo play? And he said early on he'd been working out at Leo, and you kind of think you don't fit that mold at all historically. But he played well over there. Uh, and I do wonder how much money comes into play here. I mean, again, like Jake said, you're talking about at the moment $12 million, And really, if they even get up into like the 40 range, uh, that's going to be a pretty good haul for them this year. Uh, with all the other things that they're going to be doing, that's my biggest question. Where does Ngakwe fit in with, with all the other things that, that need to happen this offseason? And by the way, Leo, for those that are unfamiliar, I mean left end, right? Left side? Yeah, and basically, think like I mean, just a little smaller body type and basically out there to rush the passer. Right. Um, He's in that wide nine or – so you've got him like way out there. Yeah, way He's outside. usually the speed guy. George, as we enter between the draft and free agency, if the Colts have guys that, that they've got to take a look at that either due to health or whatever reason have not had a lot of reps, Kevin, feel free to weigh in on this. In talking to coaches in the NFL or in talking to Chris Ballard or just in covering it in general, 
What position would you say takes the longest amount of time or the most reps before you can truly, legitimately evaluate a player? What player? What position takes the longest to be able to say definitively that you know what you have or do not? Yeah, outside of quarterback, which is kind of the answer. All well, the obviously, yeah, with, but with all these. Um, I think you hear a lot with receiver. You know, they, they just they put a lot on their plate, um, especially in the, in the offense they've been running the last few years. We'll see how close Steichen's scheme is to what Frank Reich did. Uh, but with all the blocking responsibilities that they have, in addition to the routes that they have to run, uh, it just you've heard a lot over the years that that's a really tough position for them to transition to. And you really haven't seen a rookie come in and make a splash here. I mean, it's happened other places in the league, uh, but I can't remember the last time a rookie wide receiver walked in and was good to go from day one. And I think that's, you know, that's where the Paris Campbell situation, I think, is interesting because you don't really have another slot receiver on this roster right now, but you don't know exactly what you've got between the injuries and difficulty at that position. So I think that's going to be one of the more complicated situations of the offseason. Yeah, I'd throw in tight end especially if you're looking for like a three down or even defensive end. Like if you're looking for somebody to impact on run and pass downs, I think that's very difficult. I think it's difficult from a physicality standpoint, and I think it's difficult from a mental standpoint. Again, George Bremer's with us. Anderson Harold Bolton, as I've said all along, he's the most sane person on the Colts beat. He's perfect to have on when we're debating some Colts in-house free agents. You brought up Paris Campbell. Let's shift gears to linebacker. Bobby Okereke and EJ Speed. Two Chris Ballard draft picks in 2019. I think both have been good draft picks in their own individual ways. How do you view those two, considering what the Colts have already paid at linebacker? Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard to, to afford a Karake. I think everybody's kind of aware of that and understanding that situation. EJ Speed, there may be a better chance in retaining him, but he, it sounds like he's going to have quite a bit of a market as well. Uh, particularly Cleveland seems to be really interested in him. And with Bubba Ventrone going over there and EJ's versatility on special teams, I'm sure that's that'll be a really interesting spot for him as well. The other factor with the linebackers is you could argue that's where Ballard's done his best work in the draft. I mean, from Shaq Leonard to Zaire Franklin, Matthew Adams, Speed, Okereke, they seem to get really good linebackers all over the, the place throughout you know any round. And so I think he'd probably be pretty confident of any position that that's one that they can fill through the draft, no matter what picks they end up having. So that I think that plays into that as well. George, what's the reaction going to be if the Colts don't take a quarterback? <laughs> Pitchforks, I think um, it'll be chaos. I mean, those it's kind of like an expectation the they first, set, though, isn't scenario. it? I mean, isn't it, it? Aren't we kind of going off what they they basically? I mean, they've they've all but said they're taking a quarterback, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Shane Sykin even did say something about a rookie quarterback during, during the combine. Uh, I know Chris Ballard hasn't backed away from that, which, you know, normally he's the first one to, to tell us, you know, y'all are, are saying this, but you got to look at it from my standpoint. And, yeah, and the owner flat out said it too. So uh, I think, yeah, everything is pointing towards a rookie quarterback coming in here. If it doesn't happen – There'll probably be a revolt. Yeah, it seems like, by the way, that was a great y'all that you threw in there for, for Chris Ballard there. So good work on that front. Um, George, when I look at free agency versus the draft and I look at positions of need, 
free agency, I think, interior offensive line. Now, I'm very fascinated to see what happens with Ryan Kelly. As I look towards the draft, I think kind of a sneaky non-quarterback need is cornerback. I mean, Stephon Gilmore had a great season last year, but he is going into a contract year and he's not getting any younger. Depending on what happens with Kenny Moore, that could add to the cornerback debate. I know times we don't often debate like, okay, positions of need in free agency versus positions of need in the draft. But if I'm looking at a couple, I would say corner, more draft. I'd say interior offensive line, more free agency. What say you on that? Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The corner is, I think, a sneaky, really important position. Like you mentioned, Gilmore is is aging and, and it'll be in the final year of his deal. Don't really know what the situation is with Kenny Moore uh, and, and how you know solid they are there. And then Isaiah Rogers, you know, he was only a part time player most of the year. Now I think he's got a ton of potential, but you know, how solid do you really feel with the depth chart there? And beyond that, you don't really have a lot of experience or a lot of guys that you feel incredibly comfortable plugging in. So cornerback might even be a sign one draft one position this year. I've always felt like in the time that I've the years that I've watched the Colts, to me it seems as though corner is the position that has always had the shortest shelf life. They've had some really good corners, but either because they left to go elsewhere or they just once that I don't know guys it seems to me that corner is the one position that once the wheels start to go it, it's over I, there's just no I think you've seen it recently yeah. whether it's Xavier Rhodes or Vontae Davis Vontae they, Davis is a good example they yep. had great moments but and it just, yeah. just goes away you can never cornerbacks an offensive lineman man phone chargers and sunglasses you could never have too many because they're going to no, break down and you got to get new ones was it Chuck Pagano used to call all corners Ferraris? Like it was mm-hmm. the same kind of, you know, so much maintenance on them, and, and it didn't take much to put them on the shelf. But, you know, when they're out there, they're, they're high performance. Uh, there's no doubt. You can't have enough of them. You can't have enough pass rushers. I think those, you know, those three positions, including the offensive line, they're on your wish list every offseason. Yeah, especially with how the NFL game has evolved. Would corners, you rather have a Lamborghini sure. or a Ferrari? <laughs> Boy, I'm probably just more in the efficiency manner. So just whatever's more efficient of those two. I mean, the Ferraris are cool. Maseratis are cool. Ferrari is probably where I would lean on that one. George, last one for me. I don't think this is going to happen, but considering what we saw at the franchise tag earlier in the week, I'm curious. We saw Saquon Barkley get the franchise tag. We saw Josh Jacobs. We saw Tony Pollard. Those are three really good running backs. Would it make sense for the Colts to explore that for Jonathan Taylor and hold off on the long-term deal? which I think is coming his way this offseason, whether I agree with it or not. Final year of his rookie deal is coming up, so he would play out this 2023 season. You would then put the franchise tag on him for the 2024 season, and then you'd reevaluate two years down the road. Some thoughts on that. You still support the rookie quarterback for two years. Taylor Stone is prime. He's still hungry for that second contract. But you make sure you kind of back off and don't commit the big second contract to him just yet. Again, I don't think the Colts will do it, but do you think that's something they should entertain or at least think about? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that they will go that route, but when you look at that franchise tag number for the running backs, it's it's really enticing. There's a reason you saw three of them get tagged this offseason. And when you look at the long-term deals, uh, especially in recent history, they haven't turned out well for the team. You know, There, there aren't many you can point to that the team's happy that they made that, that contract. So um, I think it's a really good idea. I mean, you can tag him twice, I believe, without really 
you know, going into the big money. And I think it's something that it's tough because you want to be careful with your relationship with the player. Taylor important, you know, in particular is really important in this franchise, but from a financial standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's something that it's a conversation you have to have in my opinion, George, great stuff, man. Really enjoyed running running into you, seeing you last week at the combine. And uh, I guess the fireworks will begin. We'll see how active they are, but it'll start on Monday for the entire NFL. Great stuff, George. Thanks a lot, guys. George Bremer, Harrison Anderson, Herald Bulletin. Uh, you can follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. That's B R E M E R. So George had his credential every day. George had his credential. Yeah. Like you could say George is an adult. I think that's unfair. I thought I was very composed, handled myself very well. Kevin, you saw me. Did, did I look like I was about to go into again? The only time I thought TQM, you the typical Corey meltdown. The only time I thought that you just stepped over was when you pounded your fist on the table and said, "Do you know who I am?" <laughs> now, see, people are going to think you're being serious. You realize that, right? But uh, one guy did come up and ask for a picture in the middle of it, and I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I'm tied up, dude." I, JMV called you right to Get kind of calm here, you kid, down. Don't bother me. Yeah, JMV called me on the way home. Just want to keep your head, keep your head. No, you you handled things very. It was more of a state of shock, I think, than anything. I, right? That's, that's true. Yeah. Which I was kind of like, what am I? I'm, I like pulled up your email. I pulled up your. I was like, what? What am I supposed to do? Well, I here, get but. that. Like they were, they wanted me to have a credential to get. I, I totally understand. That. It's a hundred percent on me. But like, weren't they giving away tickets at Hardee's? I mean, you know what I mean. I'm like, yeah. Speaking of tickets. Mark? Yeah. Supercross? Four-pack? Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Yep. Yep. Coming up Saturday inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. We're going to kind of shift gears to a little bit of racing here to end the show. Um, So we'll do that. How do you want to do that? Whenever you want to do it. We can just take it off air and I'll... Okay. So how about this? Off air right now, give us a call. 317-239-1070. No pop quiz today. Uh, It is a four-pack. Family four-pack for this Saturday. Supercross event at Mm -hmm. Lucas Oil Stadium this Saturday. For those that haven't been, it's pretty family fun and it's great. Um, awesome environment. I think it's just cool to see Lucas Oil. You want fast fingers? You want color specific caller number? Jake, how do you think we should do it? Now we could ask the trivia question of what's the difference between motocross and supercross. Oh boy, that's a lot of heavy. Probably don't. You guys know the difference, by the the way. The phone lines have already lit up. I always forget this. Motocross, by the way, is outdoors. Supercross means it's inside. Got it. Got it. Um, how about just, you know, Mark Dykin's favorite bear? What does that mean? They have to say your favorite bear player. Oh, they're not gonna... That could be a while. Who's your favorite bear, like, character bear? Oh, Papa Bear from the Berenstein Bears. Mm, I don't know. I love the Berenstein Bears. I thought he was going to go with Pooh. The, the we need Pooh solid. He's living will, the dream. He you know, eats honey and wears no pants. Uh, you know probably that, right? just go with morning check down. Or probably just go with the fast fingers. And then we will do a morning check down right now on the thing. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with college basketball. Ball State's season continues today at 1.30. That is the MAC tournament quarterfinal in Cleveland. They will be taking on the home state favorite in that tournament. That would be Ohio. Bobcats 18 and 13 and 10 and 8 in MAC play. Ball State one seed higher than them within the conference. 20 and 11 and 11 and 7 again. That game at 1.30. Uh, Butler will not be continuing in their conference tournament. That's because the dogs yesterday, thankfully, ousted by St. John's. You're right, mercifully out of the Big East. 
76-63, the Johnnies over Butler yesterday. Dogs 14-18 and 18 and a couple of key guys not there. Kevin. Boy, on and off the floor. On the floor, 13 Big East losses by double figures this year. That is awful. Off the floor, Eric Hunter, Manny Bates, two Thad Mata transfers this year, did not meet the academic requirements of the program. They did not play in the game. I you know, Manny took to Twitter and said, you know, got to average a B letter grade for his graduate studies there. I just don't know how as a program you let it get to that level, especially this time of year. Thad Mata, a whole lot of cleaning up, and some of it, you know, is his own doing here with both of these guys, again, transferring in. So a rough, rough year for Butler on and off the floor. That's two in a row, certainly, for the Bulldogs. So a whole lot of looking in the mirror this offseason over there at 46th Street. Or 49th. 46? 49th. 49th. 49th Street. Whoosh. Do the swoosh. Swoosh. Tonight over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, 6.30. Our coverage begins. Pacers and Rockets. Jake, nine and a half point favorite. Um, The Rockets do have some young guys that, I don't know, I mean, Jalen Green and Jabari Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith, yeah. Kenyon Martin Jr. You brought up Kevin Porter. That was a late swoosh, but I knew you were calling. (laughs) Tickets have been given away, by the way, folks. Rockets are 15-50. and 50. They've won twice in the last month, both over the Spurs. Uh, there are six games in the association tonight. Charlotte and Detroit, Utah and Orlando, Golden State and Memphis, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, and New York and Sacramento. A couple of hot teams between New York and Sacramento, believe it or not. But again, Pacers and Rockets tonight, 7 o'clock at the field. All right, from the United Center, Big Ten tournament got underway last night. Ohio State 65-57 over the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin's bubble likely bursting with that. Seven win Minnesota beat Nebraska 78-75. So now they take on Maryland tonight around 9 o'clock. The winner of that, Minnesota-Maryland, gets Indiana tomorrow night at 9 o'clock for Purdue. You can get a look at their opponent Coming up for Friday uh, at noon today. It'll be Michigan or Rutgers. That's the 8-9 matchup. Again, Joe Lenardi has Rutgers as the second-to-last team in. Yeah, Rutgers trying to finalize that ticket and Michigan trying to kind of sneak in, right? Michigan the fifth team out, according to Joe Lenardi right now. So, again, the four-game Big Ten slate for today. Michigan and Rutgers will begin at noon. Iowa and Ohio State to follow. Penn State and Illinois. Uh, the early evening matchup, and then the final game of the night, Maryland and Minnesota. Jake, we saw it last year. A team that played on Thursday won the Big Ten tournament. Those eight teams, Michigan, Rutgers, Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, Illinois, Maryland, and Minnesota. Do you think Nittany Lions are lions of a Nittany region or a specific breed of lion? Any of them you think will win it all come Sunday? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the lion debate. <laughs> Mark, you asked a good question the other day, Kevin, which was if you the would you take one of the double by teams in the Big Ten or the field? Better way of saying it, right? Like, did I say that? I think you asked that the other day. Yeah, like seven in the morning, right? <laughs> Jake was trying to smuggle the Lions helmet out of the combine. That's yeah, right. He uh, indeed was. Now, last year we saw a team play on Thursday in Iowa get hot and. Win I told it you all. Iowa was going to win the Big Ten tournament. You going back to back for the Fighting Friends? Yeah. The stare down is going to pay off, Kevin. Um, anything else? Did we cover everything? Jim Beheim, 47 years. Yeah, Jim Beheim done at Syracuse. A very awkward uh, end to his tenure. Been a great coach. Been very polarizing in the latter part of his career. 
but yesterday after Syracuse was ousted, he said he would leave it up to the university on what his future held. And then like five minutes later, the university is like, well, we're glad you mentioned it. Uh, thank you for your service. We've had the press release sitting here for 10 years. <laughs> That's exactly we'll go right. ahead and just fire exactly that right. off. Um, you had a tweet yesterday about Bayheim and Sampson or something? Uh, Jim Bayheim's coaching departure means that there is only one active coach in Division One college basketball who has lost to Indiana in a Final Four game. <laughs> and that coach is Kelvin Sampson. Pretty interesting, right? So the last Final Four trip besides 02 was, was it 93? 92. 92? Yep, lost to Duke in the semis. Ted Val- lost to Ted Valentine in the semifinals. Oh, God, Ted. He was reffing a Notre Dame game a few weeks ago at Duke. Still going strong here. Uh, Jake, Antron Brown next. Is that right? Antron Brown should be calling in. Yep. NHRA getting underway this weekend in Gainesville, Florida. Do the gator chomp right there. Anthony Richardson dropping the green flag. That's a good question. For that one. Uh, Antron Brown joins us next here. Kevin Corey. There are two things I can tell you about our next guest when he is trapped. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Traveling quickly, and that is that the first for Antron Brown is that he is no stranger to traveling quickly to victories. 71 of them, as a matter of fact, in NHRA, including the U.S. Nationals here in Indianapolis, which is his new hometown, living in Pittsburgh. Uh, the second thing I can tell you about Antron Brown is that he is a very courteous passenger on an airplane and does not recline his seat. Oh, wow. I know that only because I sat directly behind him last year on a flight from here to, I believe it was New York in the springtime. I wouldn't expect him to remember that. He was on his way to a family wedding. But his most recent flight took him to Gainesville, Florida, where the NHRA gets underway this weekend, and he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Antron, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you, fellas? I, uh, I, I remember I remember that airplane flight, brother. I was just giving you a little room for the legs. That's why well, I appreciate that very much. Hey, um, we're doing great, and you know I'm always fascinated by this Antron, and, and I wanted you to kind of pick this up for people maybe that aren't as familiar with you know the NHRA to me is fascinating because not only is it super scintillating and like powerful fun to watch, but the TV ratings indicate that. It ha- you guys have a big following. I-, I mean, and it's for the most part, I think of Indianapolis as kind of the epicenter for it because Brownsburg in general is where teams have decided to kind of flock and, and make their shop. And you're now a team owner and you live here in central Indiana. Have you noticed an uptick in this sport just in the time that you've been in it? Oh, absolutely. It's been, it's been growing leaps and bounds each and every year. And for us, living here in Indy, we're just like, you know, it kind of came our home. It's century located, easy to fly out of, century located. And it's just really, really good. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, you know, just when you're there seeing, like, all the different, like, fabricators, parts, machinists, CNC operations, it's like you go down the street corner, get anything you want made. And that's what makes Indy so special. And it's just the people, the cost of living, the schools. Everything is just is just one of those deals where we came here back since 2000. I remember I moved to Indy in 2002, and it's been flourishing, growing, and it's bringing a whole bunch of more racing culture besides IndyCar and dirt track and circle track racing. The straight liners, like the drag racers like myself, 
this became our home. Yeah, it seems like the west side is like the backyard for the one-stop shops with all of that. Can Antron Brown joins us here. Payless Liquors Hotline. Things get underway in Gainesville for NHRA coming up this weekend. Antron, I want to go back to kind of the early beginnings. We've had you on before, and, and remember Troy Vincent. You know, you think of former NFL player. He was a big player, and you kind of getting started in all of this. Now he's extremely high up in the league office. Can you kind of share how you got started into all of this and, and, you know, the early beginnings of a career that's pretty darn remarkable? Yes, well, Troy, me and him got a humble beginning together because I used to ride street bikes for Troy Vincent when he played for the Eagles. And then I was out there for several years and Troy just loved drag racing. And it was just like uh, one of those deals where I had a love for drag racing, got together and he gave me my first ride back in 1998, brother. And uh, we came out to Indy. That's why I started working out in Indy, building my pro stock bike, and it took off from there. And then this, the rest of the story is history where I just kept my head down, kept grinding out in the sport, and I go, man, if I could ever drive a top fuel car, that'll be pretty huge. And uh, lo and behold, it took me seven years in racing pro stock motorcycle. We made the transition, and then from there, brother, in 2008, got a top fuel, and it's so funny how everything's transpired where Troy now, he's a a huge fan of what we do, and he still comes out to the races, but now I own my own top fuel team, and now he's executive vice president of the NFL, and we got people like uh, Fletcher Cox. He races, real good friends of mine. Hmm. Deuce Staley, who's the uh, assistant coach of the Panthers now. So all these old football players, and uh, they come out, they love the sport. They're a huge impact in HRA drag racing. And it's just been one of those deals where you get hooked, you come out, you love it, and you become a facet of it. Well, obviously it's paid off for you because, you know, even before going to and starting up AB Motorsports, you're three-time top fuel dragster season champion in NHRA. So, you know, the results are there. I, I've been fascinated by this, Antron, and that is the difference between being a guy that's running top dragsters or pro, you know, pro stocks, whatever it might be, and then becoming an owner as well and having to go out and get Matco tools on board and, and you know, getting sponsors and, and everything that goes into the shop and preparing the car, getting ready for the season like you are. How big a challenge is it? Was it a bigger – did you bite off a bigger bite than you anticipated when you became an owner? Well, to be honest with you, for me, I was around that and dealing with all the partnerships and sponsorships and catering. So for me, now it was like instead of me doing the work for somebody else, I just took the leaf over and it was doing it for our team and for all of our people on our team. And uh, it's all those years, like I, I was with a lot of successful people – watched how they did it and watched uh, the things they did right. And then you also saw some of the things that you thought, I thought to myself, well, I could do that a little bit better because I could put my personal touch on it. But then I quickly realized when you took that team ownership, there's a lot of different balls you got to juggle. You know what I mean? Besides the partnerships and the car performing, running well, like this year we took it on, we're in the hospitality business. We have a hospitality trailer that we cook and prepare food and take care of all of our partnerships at the racetrack. So that was another big, a whole other big ball of wax through in the mix. So it's one of those deals in business. You always got to keep evolving and you always got to keep going forward. But the more important part 
is that I found out how crucial the people you surround yourself with can make that can make or break you. And that and that's the whole thing is that you gotta have that team to lean on to move forward. And I've been very fortunate to have that. What sort of things, Antron? Antron Brown is our guest. Again, AB Motorsports is the team. And they're down in Gainesville to start off the NHRA season this weekend. I what sort of things do you are you most intrigued by when you start a new season in terms of your top fuel dragster that would be different from last year? What things did you work on in the off season and what tweaks do you have to make from one year to the next? Well, you always gotta work this this the common the common rule of thumb. You on the off season you gotta you gotta be real with yourself and and your team and your crew chief's gotta be real with the race car, where you gotta work on all your weak areas. The things you do well, you need to work on the things that you didn't do so well. So you, it's, that's one of the deals we gotta look back and say, hey, we gotta step this up. We need to work here. We need to work uh, engine program. We were hurting some engine parts. We need to work on this program. Why are we hurting them? How do we make the car make more efficient power? How do we uh, work as a team to get things done better. We had to communicate better. We need to have more team meetings. And, and sometimes, to some people, the things that they don't want to hear are the things that you have to address and you got to be truth and honest. And that's one thing that we are working on each and every month and each week is to say, all right, all right, guys, girls, how can AB Motorsports be better? And how can we be the best version of ourselves? And sometimes we got to look at each other because one person could be upset in the apple cart and I don't know it because I'm focused on X, Y, Z and everything else. And I can't focus on the individual. So I got to take the time to have time with each and every person to see where they're at, where they're headed at, what's good, what's bad. And we have to write that up on the board and we have to address that on the off season so we can come back and put our best foot forward the next season and be better to evolve with the ongoing situations from ordering parts and pieces. Now, things got a 12-week lead time instead of a four-week lead time. How do we address those situations? How do we prepare for that? Things of that nature. So there's things across the board and communication at the end of the day, fellas. That was the main key that we worked on on this offseason to get things done. Antron, always enjoy catching up with you. Good luck in the start of a new year. Gainesville sounds like a pretty good place to be this time of year. So um, always enjoy our conversations, and thanks for making time for us this morning. Yes, and uh, hopefully everybody gets to tune in because we're going to be live on Fox on Sunday. So looking forward to it. And, fellas, I can't wait to see you all come out to the U.S. Nationals year in Indiana. Love it. Again. Thanks, Antron. Appreciate it, man. And anytime. That's Antron Brown right there on the Pay Less Liquors Great. hotline. U.S. Nationals out there, Labor Day weekend. You got to go on the Friday night, man, when they're under the lights and the and the fire comes out. It's it's pretty awesome. It's like that West Side, Jake. I mean, obviously the Speedway, we, we know full well, but Brownsburg, Pittsburgh area, just that whole, you know, 465, a little bit west of oh, there. Shop after shop. Everything. I mean, Everything yeah. out there, and now Schumacher I guess it's you know and all of them. from an IndyCar standpoint, it's bled a little bit up into Whitestown, right? Isn't that where Ray Hall? Yeah, Ray Hall's built, um, and Andretti's over Andretti in Fishers, and Fishers Arrow, up there in the McLarenville Whitestown yeah. area. Yeah. Um, all right, we come back, we'll round it out. A little Supercross chatter here on Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, I imagine fear is not really a word on the radar of our next guest. Yeah. No fear of heights, I can tell you that. No, Max Anstey, he is with Supercross. They will be over at Lucas Oil Stadium coming up on Saturday. Earlier in the show, we give away we gave away a four-pack to that. And uh, that will be the excitement and the drama over there inside of Lucas Oil Stadium coming up on Saturday. Max joins us now. Max, first, man, thanks for the time. No worries, guys. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving my time in America. So, now, you're, you're uh, yeah, not from Kentucky. Good. I can tell right away. You're not from Kentucky, Sound like right? like Bedford to me. <laughs> I know. I'm from England. Um, yeah, I'm from England, and uh, and uh, you know, like like a lot of things, America's always the dream. So uh, to to just be over here and, and racing Supercross in uh, in the states is is something pretty special. So I'm uh, I'm taking it all in, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Max, how did you get into this? Like, were you like the kid that was just jumping off everything and just zero fear whatsoever <laughs> growing up? Oh, I, honestly. I can never remember a time without bikes. I think I think my parents got me a bike when I was three, and and I've been riding I don't know, probably longer than when I was walking. I don't even know. I was I'm literally just um, like I said. I can never remember a time without it. So it's it's always been it's always been a thing that I I've loved and enjoyed. Even when I was when I was little, I just was going round and round and round and round and round, and uh, and it's one of those where it's the passion's always been there, and and I've I've I just like riding my bike. So um, one thing led to another, and um, you move up the ranks and realize that, okay, right, I'm, I can be pretty good at this. And and then it turns from being fun to, you know, becoming a job. And, and then the pressure starts mounting, and you start you start doing some bigger races, but then you're still, you're still having fun doing what you're doing. So, uh, yeah, it kind of just snowballs like that. But, um, yeah, I can never remember a time without it. Jake, he, he says ride his bike. He acts like he's just going to the neighborhood pool. Schwinn. Yeah, yeah. You just got to you Schwinn. Yeah, you, know, uh, you just put some spokes on the old Schwinn. I'm just gonna head over to the neighborhood pool. A little bit different bike than what I think what we're used to. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, the dirt bikes, obviously. Um, and uh, and yeah, we we go up and up and up, and and yeah, we got some pretty big horsepower now with uh, with these bikes. But it's cool. I'm I definitely racing inside the stadiums, like like Luxor Stadium this weekend. It's it's iconic. It's an iconic place, and. Uh, and there's a lot of action, man. There's there's the 22 guys on that start line, all all trying to get that top spot. So um, it's uh, yeah, it can get pretty wild at times. Max, this is round nine of the Monster Energy AMA Supercross Championship that's going to be at Lucas Oil on Saturday. As a matter of fact, uh, everything getting underway. Fan Fest is going to be at six o'clock, and then everything gets underway at seven. Here's a really dumb question, and I apologize for how dumb a question it is. But as you guys maneuver around and play in these massive venues in front of you know almost sold out crowds at Lucas Oil, for example, is the course that they lay out for you the same at each venue that you go, or do they come up with variations to the course so that you never know from one week to the next until practice exactly what it's going to look like? Yeah, you. Yeah, so each year, each stadium, each round is a completely different design. They Supercross Live guys. They they have a, a team of track builders and and track designers, and they actually released they released pictures of their like kind of digital pictures on their Instagram um, 
before the season starts so you get a general idea but you still don't know until you get there like i was looking at the track map earlier and and yeah each race is something different so it's it's one of those where you you can't really replicate it unless um unless say you have a, a your own track and you're like okay i'm gonna build round 13 at my you know my track to connect that can be my test track but then the other uh, 19 rounds or, or 17 rounds or however many rounds there are you uh, you you don't know you're getting there and you're kind of just having to, to do it off the bat it's um it's one of those where you just go week to week and go race to race and and you've got to figure it out when you get in there on Saturday morning what's the highest on average that you get on a jump what do you think what's the highest oh I don't know I mean the supercross triples are pretty big um I mean, I you're, you're way two, up there, right? So two, three stories up there, like uh, two, three stories. I don't know how many, yeah. how much that is in feet, um, in meters. That might be a bit different, <laughs> meters and feet. But um, yeah, I don't know, a couple of couple of two, three stories. Like, and the thing is, it's the it's the the speed and also the 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 trajectory of like you've got to land and make a turn or go into another set of obstacles. So you've got to be precise. You well, know, so it, that's you what. You know, my question, the reason I ask it is because here you are, you're getting you're getting all this air, right? And I don't yeah. know, and, and I realize, Max, that it's probably instinctive. Max Ancy's our guest, by the way, on the Palo Sugars Hotline, who's going to be running this weekend at Lucas Oil Stadium. It's probably instinctive, but when you're at the top, the apex of the height, are you more focused on just making sure that you're sticking your land, so to speak, or are you surveying over to get an idea where the bike's coming down so you know how to get the best time in your lap? Um, a bit of both. I, I think when you're when you're in the air, it depends. Let's say you're coming up short and you you know you're going to come up short because you know as you take off, like you said, it's a bit it's instinctive now. Um, you're like. Oh, okay, right. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be short on this one. I need to then get myself in the best position. So level the bike out. Make sure I'm neutral on the bike so I don't just completely yard sail it as soon as I land. I mean, sometimes that happens and you, you can't help it. But um, if you know you're gonna land clean, you're mainly trying to use that time. I know it sounds weird, but you're trying to use that time in the air to almost preach to like take a breath to then charge as soon as you land to get into the next section fast. Um, so, yeah, if you think about it on the supercross track, I don't know, over half the time you're in the air, it's not always a rest, obviously, but if you can try to, uh, you know, use the least amount of energy whilst you're in the air, then uh, then it helps when you are on the ground to be able Take to charge. Take a breath, three stories in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. so or is it more, Max, for you... Do you find at the end of a, a run or the end of a race that it's more physically or mentally exhausting? Um, I think the whole day of Supercross is mentally mentally tiring. It's a lot. You know, you've got you've got a lot of obligations, but also just the 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 stuff with the bike like in the team you're trying to fine-tune things so it's you're thinking about this setting or that setting it's much more like formula one in that respect if you've watched the drive to survive you know seasons or whatever it, it's a much more um in-depth with finding the right setup because at this level everyone is is good you're trying to find 
you know, a quarter of a second, a half a second here, half a second there. That can be the difference between winning and, and not. Um, so there's that. But then also, yeah, by the end of the main event, you're physically, it's, it's like getting off the couch and, and running wide open, sprinting for 15 plus one laps, which can be 16, 17, 18 minutes, depending uh, in the 250 class. And then the 450 class is 20 plus one. So it's, it's your heart rate's 185 plus. 185 to 200, so you're redlining on your heart rate for for 20 minutes. Um, And then you've got to try and maintain your focus with doing all the rhythms whilst your heart rate's really high. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely a bit of both, but it's uh, it's physically, yeah, pretty pretty tough. Max, we got just 30 seconds left, but, but as a Brit, I have to ask, British people have a responsibility to be able to sniff out fake British accents. Can no, you grade no. mine real quick? No, Max, just say no, to, man. Say uh, you got uh, practice. He's got practice starting uh, in a minute. You get a lot of air on the bike, oh. and then what you do, you, you have no, to just be prepared. <laughs> Darn it. He said terrible, I believe. Yep. Uh-huh. I, believe, I believe he's a, a, a terrible. Max, I've never rooted for anyone more in my life than I'll root for you on Saturday. Yeah, I, look, I, I was that. a little bit antsy. <laughs> it's pretty good, well, you isn't it? My American, my American accent, so don't worry. You, you did better than me. <laughs> yes! Anstey, he will be in the Supercross coming up. A lot of podium finishes this year. Looking for that win on Saturday at Lucas Oil. Max, great stuff, man. Good luck on Saturday. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Uh, cheers, uh, cheers guys. Answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, He's, you have he to say said cheers terrible. The end. Uh, 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 okay. You know, you just have to go off someone that knows, and he knows, and he said terrible. And you know I what I didn't say? I didn't say to him. Do you like the bagels? I didn't. You didn't. Should make him a weekly guest just because of that. Literally, I mean, hell, he's awesome. They put a mic right here, and they can have him come in studio <laughs> on Monday. All right, a lot of Big Ten tournament action today. We'll recap it coming up tomorrow. Indiana and Purdue will both hit the floor tomorrow in Chicago, and the Pacers win thirty, folks. Come on now. We'll see if we're celebrating tomorrow.